and last one. Great. Now set your weights down under your chair. Bring your bottom forward. I like to call the regular meeting of the City Council Public Financing Authority to order. Uh, City Clerk, please call the roll. Yes. Councilmember Kalmick? Here. Councilmember Mosher? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark? Here. Mayor Strickland? Here. Councilmember McKeon? Here. Councilmember Bolton? Here. Councilmember Burns? Here. All present. Uh, City Council member comments. Does any council member want to make a comment? None. Uh, move on. The city clerk, do we have any supplemental communications? Yes, Mayor. For closed session item number three, we received three email communications. That's it for this portion of the meeting. Thank you. Uh, city clerk, do we have anyone signed up to speak at this time? No, sir, we don't. Okay. So with that, uh, we're going to go to closed session. Um, conference with labor negotiators, uh, government code section 54957.6. Agency designated representatives Travis Hopkins, Assistant City Manager, Melanie Cheney, Chief Negotiator. Also in attendance, Jose Rodriguez, Human Resources Manager, Teresa St. Peter, Interim Director of Human Relations, Michael, uh, Michael E. Gates, City Attorney, Scott Haberly, Fire Chief, and Sonny Hahn, Chief Financial Officer. Employee organizations, the Huntington Beach Firefighters Association uh, and Fire Management Association. Uh, move and second for closed session. Been moved. Second. It's been second. Uh, we're going to closed session.
I'd like to reconvene the regular meeting of the City Council Public Finance Authority. Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick. Here. Councilmember Mosher. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark. Here. Mayor Strickland. Here. Councilmember McKeon. Here. Councilmember Bolton. Here. Councilmember Burns. Here. All present. Uh, please uh, join in the Pledge of Allegiance led today by City Attorney Michael Gates. Thank you, Mayor. Let's pledge allegiance to the greatest symbol of freedom in the world. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Please remain standing. Um, our invocation will be done today um, by uh, Chaplain James Pike. Let us pray. We gather in this council chamber this evening in the national spirit of thanksgiving. Almighty God, we rightfully ascribe to you all the good that we enjoy from natural wonder to human industry. And may you well up within us a spirit of gratitude. Also our lamentable strife for the wounds that have been created. We pray that you come and bring your peace, set a table where friends and enemies can gather and we can indeed be grateful for all that you have done to bless our city and our nation. Bless this chamber tonight with wisdom, patience, and good counsel, and we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, members, we're going to go down the agenda. City Attorney, do you have anything uh, to report from closed session? Yes, briefly, Mayor. On item number three, uh, lawsuit, City of Huntington Beach versus Newsom. Uh, USDC case number 823-CV-00421-FWS. City Council voted 4-3 with Kamek, Bolton, and Mosier dissenting to ratify the previous decision to file an appeal in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And that's it. Thank you, Mayor. Okay. Uh, City Clerk, do we have any supplemental communications? Yes, we do, Mayor. For consent item 8, an email communication on modifications to the Hometown Heroes Banner Program. Item nine, an email communication regarding the reaffirmation of the Sister City Covenant with Anjo Japan. Item 10, <clears throat> an interdepartment memo from um, Captain Swensbo with the, uh, for the sale and purchase agreement for the police helicopter. For administrative public hearing, I'll announce that later. Administrative item number 18, two emails, received regarding the inner city manager appointment. Council member items number 19, a letter from Congresswoman Katie Porter regarding homelessness in our community and five email communications regarding uh, veteran homelessness in our community. Uh, item 20, 13 email communications regarding exploring the feasibility of becoming a certified autism destination in Huntington Beach. Thank you, city clerk, do we have anybody signed up to speak? Yes, we have 15 signed up to speak, so if no one minds, I'm just going to call all 15 and you guys can line up. And if I make, uh, I'm going to make this announcement, but before I even make the announcement, uh, for the 15 speakers, uh, our computers are out, so you're not going to get a 10-second warning from the mayor. You're actually going to get a 10-second warning from the city clerk, who's going to raise up a red folder. So <laughs> once you raise that red folder, then you have 10 seconds left to make your presentation. Um, so with that, at this time, the City Council will receive comments from members of the public regarding any topic, including items on the open and session agenda. Individuals wishing to provide a comment may do so in person by filling out a request to speak form delivered to the City Clerk. All speakers are encouraged but not required to identify themselves by name. Each speaker may have up to three minutes unless the volume of speakers warrants reducing time allowance. Please note, 
that the Brown Act does not allow discussion or any topics that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who would like to speak directly with a council member on an item not on the agenda may consider scheduling an appointment by contacting the City Council's Administrative Assistant at 714-536-5553 or emailing the entire City Council at city.council at surfcity-hb.org. All right, I'm going to call the names and just make your way down to both podiums. Andrew Einhorn, Rocky McKinnon, Russell Neal, Kathy Carrick, Pat Goodman, Amory Hansen, Ken Inouye, Frank Nakabayashi, I hope I said that right, Kathy Ryder, Jessamyn Garner, Brittany Boz, Neil, Cindy, Vivian Pham, Denise Ibanez Todora. Thank you for being here. Oh, and Tim Geddes. I'm sorry, Tim. Your folder, your little form got stuck. You may proceed. Thanks so much for being here. Who's opening? Good. Oh. Thank, Thank you. you. My pleasure. Hi, my name is Rocky McKinnon. I'm the proud owner of McKinnon Surf and Sup Lessons. Um, we have the contract to do surf lessons on the north side of Huntington Beach Pier. Also was the, um, started the first ever adaptive surfing program to Huntington Beach. So tonight as the uh, motion to make us more of a um, autistic awareness uh, community, I feel that um, you know, our inclusivity is already defined in what we've already represented. And I'd like to think that uh, McKinnon Surf and Sup Lessons has already done that. And, and I look and really thank the community for our support, for their support. Um, I've worked hand-in-hand -hand with the Marine Safety Division and also um, city officials and City Hall to bring this really unique piece of equipment that you see before you. This is a chair board. It's 15 feet. It um, is capable of taking people with non-operability surfing. So uh, you have your fine motor skill issues. You have uh, people that are paraplegic or quadriplegic. Uh, if they have the desire to go surfing, they could jump in this chair board and, and come out with me for a great time and experience um, surf city at its finest right here in Huntington Beach. So um, have some amazing partners locally also with Dukes um, and visit HB. If you want to check out the social media, uh, McKinnon Surf and Sup Lessons or look up Rocky McKinnon for more details, McKinnon Surf and Sup Lessons also. And I wanted to close with a comment from one of the moms. She came down with her son with cerebral palsy and uh, his name was Ollie. They came all the way from Seattle, Washington, to come down and experience Southern California, but also experience Huntington Beach and what it has to offer locally here, especially our waves. Um, and Ollie was nine years old, and um, I had to push him down with the wheelchair here that was donated by Kiwanis Club. And we got him down to the beach, got him in the chair board, and he had an amazing time. It was one of those memorable days where it was just everything came together. And uh, later on, we were texting back and forth, and she wrote to me. She's like, Rocky, it was a, such an amazing day. Thank you, thank you and your team. You're all such a great group. Ollie told me it was the best day when I tucked them in that night. So I want to say this is something that we're all capable of, of really producing these amazing experiences collectively in this community. I want to continue to do so. So however I can uh, be a conduit to make that happen, I look to you guys, City Council, I look to Marine Safety, and I also look to City Hall to see what you guys can do with 
um, my expertise and my experience to make our community better because I want to continue to do so. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening. My name is Kenny Noway. I'm a 50-year resident of Huntington Beach. I'm here to just kind of restate some of the financial challenges we have here in the city. Now, I want to make it real clear. I'm not trying to place blame. I just want people to understand where we stand financially so that we can make informed choices going forward as far as so to affect the financial health of this community. In previous sessions, I've mentioned that in our budget, we're, we're anticipating to have a deficit. I don't want to specify an exact amount, but I think the fact that we may have a deficit suggests that we need to be financially prudent. At the last city council meeting, we came to the realization that after allocating some of the reserves from the current year, we had almost $200 million of unfunded liabilities, which needs to be, also need to be considered as we move forward. And finally, I recently came to my attention that the city has a lot of deferred maintenance. There's a lot of things that infrastructure that need to be fixed. And to that end, it's very possible we may need to issue a bond or try to go to the public and get a bond. In order to get a good rating and a good interest rate, I believe that we need to show that we're financially good stewards of the city's resources. And I respectfully request that the city council keep these things in mind as you make go forward, make financial decisions that impact the city. Thank you so very much. Have a happy holiday, you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Andy Einhorn, Huntington Beach. Successful business enterprises require a solid analytical business plan. When lenders consider investing in a business venture, the business plan is the foundation for that transaction. They'll challenge you about your income projections and expenses. First slide, please. With that as background, we turn our attention to measure one, where the incomplete analysis excludes the real hidden costs, which include purchasing voting machines, insurance coverage, IT support, wages-related expenses, training of workers, data storage, ADA requirements, recount costs, many more, not to mention the most important element, the legal challenge that certainly will develop by governmental bodies and individuals. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Truth be told, you have no business plan. As a matter of fact, you have no plan at all. Did the majority attend the Trump University School of Accounting? Our beloved city is facing great financial uncertainty. Please focus your real job on protecting the citizens you are elected to serve. Stop waddling in areas you are not in the city's council purview and threaten our financial stability. Relying on wishy-washy words like may or shall in your scheme is a fast track for disaster, just like the County of Orange did in 1994 when they became the largest municipal failure in U.S. history. Next slide, please. This is the analysis by Attorney Gates. He, this is posted on the city's website. 
I'm just going to focus on the, the, the area in red. Next slide, please. And I quote Mr. Gates, this will increase the election-related costs in, that, in an amount that cannot be precisely determined at this time, unquote. If the city was applying for a business loan with that verbiage, number one, the bank would say this is disinformation. Number two, without cost projections, the bank would say, take a hike. After carefully assessing the concealed expenses that were not projected in this amendment, regardless if you identify yourself as a Republican or Democrat, it is evident that this amendment will lead to a financial disaster. Ten seconds. I urge a no vote on all, all the poorly conceived ballot measures. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening. My name is Kathy Carrick, and I'm a 48-year resident of Huntington Beach. I'm here to express my strong opposition to Councilwoman Mosier's proposal to designate Huntington Beach as a certified autism destination. While the idea may appear commendable at first glance, I firmly believe that it is a misguided approach that will only serve to further divide our community. My apprehension stems from the concern that such a designation, much like the display of a gay pride flag at City Hall, is merely a form of divisive virtue signaling. Rather than fostering unity, these actions have the strong potential to create rifts among our citizens by inadvertently bestowing special treatment upon special groups. This leads to the troubling question of why certain groups are being catered to while others are not. Huntington Beach prides itself on being a diverse, open, and inclusive community. Despite many biased media portrayals, the reality is that there have been minimal documented hate crimes targeting any particular group in recent times. Therefore, I strongly advocate for a focus on inclusivity, kindness, and openness to all without showing favoritism toward any specific group. By maintaining a commitment to inclusivity for all without singling out particular groups for special treatment, we can ensure that Huntington Beach remains a welcoming environment for everyone. This approach fosters a sense of unity and togetherness, transcending the unnecessary divisions that could arise from preferential treatment of specific demographics. I also think the timing of this proposal coinciding with an upcoming election year raises concerns about the potential for political calculations. The prospect of leveraging this initiative to portray opposition as being anti-autism is troubling and risks overshadowing genuine dialogue and consideration of the best interests of our community. I therefore urge the council to reject item number 20, the proposal to designate Huntington Beach as a certified autism destination. Instead, let us reaffirm our dedication to an inclusive and supportive community that embraces all individuals without singling out specific groups for special recognition. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Next speaker, thanks so much for being here. <clears throat> uh, good evening, Mayor Strickland and council members. My name is Russell Neal and I live in Huntington Beach. 
I would like to speak tonight in support of the three charter amendments. I support all three, but will limit my comments to the first one. Uh, this measure concerning election integrity is perhaps the most important. The change from traditional one-day in-person voting to months-long all-mail-in ballot system was justified as necessary as a necessary response to COVID. But now that the COVID crisis has abated, we are told the all-mail-in scheme must remain. Perhaps introducing a low-integrity voting method was the true goal all along. The problem consists of mailing ballots to all names on voter rolls that are full of invalid voters. The only way to verify the ballots is by signature matching, but the law effectively requires almost any scrawl to be accepted as matching. This, coupled with partisan ballot harvesting operations, opens the door to an unknowable level of fraud, which in turn creates a lack of confidence in election results. Neither election deniers nor election fraud deniers, nor even the ROV knows or can know the level of fraud with this kind of sloppy system. We are told that any measure to improve election integrity constitutes voter suppression. But perhaps the votes of dead people, people who have moved out of state, and people who never existed in the first place should be suppressed. Confidence in the integrity of our elections is essential to any democratic system, and anything our city can do to restore this confidence deserves our support. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Mayor and City Council, uh, my name is Frank Nakabayashi, uh, President of the Sister City Association of Huntington Beach. And I'm here tonight for support of the agenda item 23-1014, reaffirmation of Huntington Beach Sister City Covenant with Anjo, Japan. Uh, our sister city relationships tracing back over four decades. And during this four decades time, we sent or exchanged over 200 high school students and also the almost 200 citizens exchange visit. So it's a good long tradition. Uh, traditional relationships between two cities. And every 20 years, we agree that we're gonna have a renew uh, the friendship. So actually last year was 20 years, but unfortunately because of COVID, we couldn't visit each other. So this is the time that we have to consummate this agreement. And I've discussed with city council uh, chairman in Anjo, Japan, uh, and they're also executing similar uh, agreement right now. So I really would like to appreciate a mayor and, and city council to approve this reformation of the agreement. Thank you.
Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi, my name is Neil. I have a couple things, but first, um, number one, I really hope Mr. Neil can update his views on elections integrity, because it seems that he draws a lot of his um, ideas on race and elections from the 1870s. And second, I don't see how you can consider an idea of inclusivity and then suggest that it's somehow giving people special treatment to uh, consider their special needs. Um, so I did also want to start off by voicing support for agenda items number 19 and 20. Uh, I also want to acknowledge and appreciate the people who do come down to city council meetings to make their voices heard and get involved in the local political process. But I also want to acknowledge that the typical speaker is often a homeowner and often retired, demographics that have significant investment and availability for meetings, but who are also not the only stakeholders in the community. I would urge folks at home who are able to set aside the time to come out and speak at at least one meeting and make your voice and positions heard, or at least send in an email to the council so your voice is on the record. The housing crisis in this state and across this country is due in large part to the systems of local control that benefit and reify the entrenched voices and often underrepresent those most heavily affected. The homeless, youth and young adults who are either not directly involved in politics or largely at college in another city or state, as well as young professionals who have a nine to five and don't often have the time to come down. The population of Huntington Beach is aging. Young people are priced out of their neighborhoods and unable to find stable housing to build a family. Just last week, OVSD voted 3-2 in favor of the closure of Springview in the face of declining enrollment. Maintaining the status quo is killing this city and destroying the ability of young Huntington Beach residents to establish themselves in this community. I also wanted to talk again about, you know, I know a lot of people in the community and a lot of people on the council have expressed opposition to high density housing. But the reality is that we do need more housing for residents. The cost is astronomical for people, especially again, young people who are moving out from their uh, families, you know, their parents' homes, or trying to find a place, you know, in the city where they come from, and they don't have that opportunity. So if we aren't gonna have high density housing, we are gonna need more housing in some form. At the very least, I urge the council to reconsider the opposition to the construction of ADUs. ADUs provide for space for especially older residents who can right size uh, the space for their living, downsize from a house when they no longer have their kids in it, while still maintaining connection to their local community and neighborhood, as well as providing op opportunities for supplemental retirement income through leasing out the larger space of their, you know, the formerly primary residence, or allowing for their children or grandchildren to move into that space and to start to raise a family of their own within the community. So, I mean, I know we obviously sort of are, you know, Ten lost. seconds suffered a setback in a legal fight here. So I hope you'll consider exploring opportunities and options for what we're gonna do if we eventually do um, you know, fail in the legal challenges here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Hi everyone, um, I'm Jessamine Garner. I'm a Huntington Beach resident. I'm here to support items 19 and 20. And it feels really good to say that I support something in this room. It's been a long time since I uh, came here to support something. Um, so first I wanna talk a little bit about item 19. Um, veterans deserve to come home to a stable and affordable home um, that they can count on in this community. They sacrificed for our community and the rest of this country and yet veterans are one of the groups that are most likely to experience homelessness and that's not right. I support a study to assess what strategies will be most effective at making sure every veteran in our community has a stable, affordable home that suits their needs. 
I also want to celebrate the fact that the federal lawsuit the city filed against the state has been dismissed. Um, the city remains responsible for planning enough homes for every income level, and this planning process will positively impact our veterans, as well as other groups that are most likely to experience homelessness in our community and beyond. Um, and then moving on to item number 20, which I also support, I'm very happy to support this item as well. Um, I thought it was kind of odd that a, a speaker earlier openly opposed this item. Um, to, it's very odd to me to call something like this divisive. Um, this is not divisive. What is divisive is what our city currently is because we don't provide equal access to our city's beauty and our city's services. We have a chance to be less divisive with this designation by inviting our neighbors and visitors with autism into spaces where they're currently prohibited from participating in because the built environment is not planned and created with them in mind. Accessibility is extremely important for our neighbors with disabilities and significantly impacts our tourism industry. Huntington Beach has already taken strides to make our beaches more accessible for wheelchair users, which has been really amazing to see. I love seeing folks being able to access our beaches when they otherwise would not be able to. Our beaches are beautiful and everyone should be able to enjoy them. Becoming a certified autism des designation would help us make similar strides in accessibility for our neighbors and visitors with autism. I have many family members and friends who are unable to enjoy everything Huntington Beach has to offer because so many attractions are inaccessible to them. This designation will bring new investments into the city and signal to people with autism and their families that they're welcome here. Um, I wanna thank council member Natalie Mosier for bringing these items forward. Um, really appreciate your leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Hello, my name is Brittany Boss, and I'm speaking to support agenda item number 20. I want to say thank you, Natalie Mosier and Council, for considering. I have nine-year-old twins, one of which is autistic and has high support needs. He requires one-to-one -one support 24-7, 365. It is because of my son and my personal experiences in the community that I realized there was a lack of awareness and preparedness, which is why I founded the Amuse Foundation, advocating maintaining unity with special humanly needs and everyone. We've made great strides thus far to assist our community in understanding the needs of our demographic through seminars and educational videos provided to the CERT and first responder teams, as well as providing summer camp for families. Huntington Beach has proven to be receptive to inclusivity and moving forward with the Moby Mat, with Para Surfing, and the Communication Board. Thank you. As a neurodivergent family, every day we feel an abundance of love, grace, worry, fear, defeat, isolation, exhaustion, excitement, joy, hope, proud moments, motivation, and the feeling of unknown. The days are long and the weeks are short. A neuro, as a neurodivergent family, uh, neurotypical families without disabilities plan to raise their kids until they're 18, move on and out with their life as a functioning adult in society, and some are lucky enough to stay home still leading independent lifestyles. However, raising a child with a disability or an invisible disability forces us to explore other options and wonder if someone else can love and treat our child the way we would. I wouldn't change the fact that my son is autistic. He's an extraordinary individual with a beautiful soul. He has the ability and potential for greatness. He has shown me and everyone around him a different way of thinking, how we look and experience life. However, autism is a community and family affair. We rely on grandparents, siblings, extended family members, neighbors, teachers, speech therapists, occupational therapists, the list goes on, and of course the community to help raise our children and support them into adulthood and then some. 
Autism is beautiful and truly a gift. However, it's a spectrum and in reality, with high support needs, one might experience judgment in the community due to lack of just not knowing what they're witnessing. Many families do not have the opportunity to participate fully in the community due to wanting to avoid the what ifs. A neurodiverse family has an elevator pitch ready to give while in public in case we need to explain disrobing, elopement, lack of communication response or aggression. My nine-year-old daughter has had to educate adults in public about our needs. An inclusive city would provide education to our community about elopement, overstimulation, meltdowns, alternative augmentation, communication devices, how to assist and be inclusive through experience and engagement, accommodations at restaurants, the beach, creating safe spaces at events, day programs, one-to-one -one support aids, and truly enhance the theory of being one HB. Our families would feel supported and know that our community cares for every individual and their needs, learning this second language that we've had to learn. Being an autism certified city would bring a sense of relief, growth, and the opportunity for local and visiting families to experience our wonderful community and all it has to offer at its fullest. 10 seconds. Let's create a city disability advisory board and keep moving forward. Thank you all for your time and consideration. Thank you for being here. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, City Council. My name is Vivian Pham. I am here to speak on and fully support Council Member Mosier's Agenda Item 20, exploring the feasibility of becoming a certified autism destination in HB. I am a resident of HB, and I have two kids who go to school here. I am incredibly passionate about the direction that our city is going in and the efforts to become a more inclusive society. As you may know, this is an important growth space for our community. There's a clear economic incentive to becoming certified autism destination, but even more importantly, I think about the legacy that our city could have. This could be a safe space for kids with autism where they can come, feel safe, be comfortable, and just be themselves. This could be a city that is dedicated to proactively planning for individuals with autism and be committed to fostering a space of acceptance and understanding among all community members regardless of their abilities, regardless of their needs. There's an entire population of neurodivergent individuals who want to participate in our city, but due to the unique challenges that they have, they simply can't. Becoming an autism certified city would allow HB to actually take into account the interests of neurodivergent individuals, a large percentage of our community. As a member of the community who actively engages with parents who have kids with autism, as well as parents of kids with disabilities, I can tell you that we very much have a need to have a place for families who have members with autism or kids with disabilities, to have a place where they feel comfortable living, to have a place where they can come and just have fun and be kids. Huntington Beach and becoming an autism-friendly location can be that safe space for everyone. And in every setting too, I think about the playgrounds of the playground. I think about story time at the libraries. I think about the restaurant experience in downtown HB. The CDC says that one in 36 children have autism. One in 36. That is a very large part of our population that we simply cannot forget. Individuals on the spectrum, individuals with disabilities, deserve to be a part of our community, not just a subset of it. Their world is ours, and our world is theirs. And my hope is that the City Council sees Agenda Item 20 as this opportunity to care, as an opportunity to do good within our community, in a profound and thoughtful way. This initiative's important, it's needed, and this city can make a choice right now to be a more inclusive city for people with autism, for people in general, and show that HB really is a city that's based on three things at least, or at least I've seen as a resident, community, compassion, and caring. Thank you.
Next speaker, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. My name is Mr. Amory Hansen. I'm speaking tonight to express my concerns regarding the proposed senior housing project at number 4,952 Warner Avenue that will be considered by the City Council in the future. I spoke at the Planning Commission meeting against a similar senior housing project at number 2,120 Main Street because of concerns that such a project would result in the closure of my alma mater, Futures Academy. Thankfully, it did not. Councilman Kalmick is aware that the project passed at that meeting unanimously. I was the only orator to speak against it and the only orator other than the applicant. The fact that this project garnered much more interest by orators at the Planning Commission meeting this year, where it was considered, makes clear to me deep and unique concerns by residents that were not concerns about previous senior living projects, including the size of the project and its impact on the very close Bolsa Chica Ecological Reserve. I too share those concerns. I am looking forward to attending one of the two town halls on this project on November 27th and December 4th and encourage residents to attend one of those town halls as well. I have been pleased to see the Council's recent actions to support several avenues to address high-density development, actions I proudly support heading into the next election. I would like to particularly thank Councilman Burns for bringing to my attention some of these, the issues with this project. The mayor has said that the level of development in Huntington Beach is, quote, a fundamental issue, end quote. I agree. I am hopeful I will continue to see the council take ongoing actions to address this fundamental issue. Let's continue to fight in the hills of Orange, in the valleys of Los Angeles, and in the bridges of San Francisco. I strongly oppose further identity development in Huntington Beach and urge the council to oppose it as well. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Um, good evening, Mayor and City Council. My name is Tim Geddes, 40-year resident and 40-year Huntington Beach Library patron. I'm sure many of you know what this card is. It is my current membership card in the Friends of the uh, Huntington Beach Library. As you can see, it has my name, membership year, expiration date, and... Um, and my, and my type of membership, in my case, senior citizen, on the back. <coughs> on the back, it states, Friends of the Huntington Beach Library, FOTL, is a volunteer organization. It helps support uh, uh, the library through various fundraising and support endeavors. As a parent, former teacher, and avid reader, this membership is very important to me. I would like to know, I would like to show you another card which represents quite the, opposite, uh, quite the opposite point of view. As you can see, it is on red stock, which symbolizes not the Communist Party, but the Republican Party, which I believe all the council majority members belong to. The group is called Enemies of the Huntington Beach Public Library. It has the Little Books logo on, uh, on fire along with the uh, title and membership information. I will read what's on the back. Enemies of the Huntington Beach uh, Public, uh, Public Library, EOTL, is a volunteer organization formed by HB fascists, or, or is it patriots? It supports the banning of books and restricting the access of library services. Its motto is better dead than well read. My question to the public is, which membership card 
best serves the Huntington Beach residents? The friend's card or the enemy's card? The friend's card says that citizens know best how to make decisions about the reading choices of themselves and their families. The enemy's card says the council majority and its ideological supporters know best. Who should the community members join, uh, join up with to best serve our library needs? Friends or enemies? I think the choice is quite simple. Uh, I will have uh, uh, enemies cards uh, available for all the council majority members to join. Come see me. I won't even charge you. Happy holidays. Mayor, can I ask for a point of clarification from the speaker? Uh, I, city attorney, are we allowed to do that? All right. All right. Next speaker, thanks so much for being here. Good evening, Mayor, City Council members, City staff, and HG residents. Kathy Ryder, a homeowner and voter here in Huntington since 1985. I appreciate the efforts of our HBPD, our city staff, and our school districts to address e-bike safety. The report I saw online was very thorough. However, I think that anyone who travels the streets or travels on the beach path can clearly see that we still have a long ways to go to make sure that those riding e-bikes are doing so safely. I do have some concerns regarding police chief slash interim city manager Para. I think he's an excellent man, but I'm wondering if the both the chief of police and the city manager are now somehow part-time positions, and how does he divide his time between the two positions? Are there two administrative assistants? Does he work out of each office part of each day? And if there were a citywide emergency, which office would have his first priority? So managing a city of nearly 200,000 and overseeing our police force is an awful lot to ask for an individual. I do fully support agenda item 19. Do we currently know the number of veterans in Huntington who are experiencing lack of housing? Lieutenant Colonel Hendrickson, who was a speaker at the city's Huntington Beach Veterans Day event, spoke as if not as all is being done for our veterans. So this proposed targeted effort must be needed. We need to make sure that all of the identified Huntington Beach veterans are a priority for securing permanent housing. I also support agenda item number 20. Do you know that one out of every 36 people who live here in Huntington are somewhere on the autism spectrum, and all of them are not just children. They grow up to be adults as well. So let's just explore the requirements to become a certified autism destination. Without the research, how would we know if this is the right fit for our city? So let's look at this opportunity to make a difference. That's all you're being asked to do tonight. We're not making a commitment to become one. We're just trying to learn more. I would also like to wish a happy Thanksgiving to all of those who are in attendance this evening and to any of you who are watching at home. Happy Thanksgiving. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and the City Council. My name is Denise Ivanez Tadora, and I'm speaking in support of agenda item number 20, exploring the feasibility of becoming a certified autism destination in Huntington Beach. As a resident of Huntington Beach over the last 10 years, I am proud to see all the diversity and inclusivity we have within our wonderful community. More recently, I had the opportunity to be a spectator for some of the ISA World Parasurfing Championship competition that was held here a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't be prouder to see our community gather in support of one another and welcoming everyone with kindness, compassion, and understanding. You could feel the love surrounding our city. One out of many struggles that we may not be aware of that affects many families within our own community is autism. 
Currently, one in 36 children are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, and I should clarify individuals. One in 36 individuals are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, which is up from a previous rate, which was at one in 44 individuals. Autism may not be visible in everyone. However, this doesn't reflect the level of support that an individual may need due to their, due to their autism. One of many barriers that individuals with autism can struggle with are the discomforts with things within their own environment, such as crowded places, loud noises, and bright lights. For some of this, this can be a trigger and cause a disruption that may manifest into what resembles a meltdown. Often this can be confusing and scary for those who are not aware or knowledgeable about autism because it's confusion with someone suffering from a mental health crisis. From the family perspective, the struggle can be a little more real. Some of the meltdown behaviors can be predictable for individuals with autism, meaning families know which places to avoid so that, so that they essentially avoid encountering a possible meltdown. So if they need to avoid a noisy restaurant because their child screams when it gets too loud, they avoid that place at all costs. Unfortunately, some families avoid going out to any places altogether and stay confined to their homes for fear of being judged because their child plays a little differently, communicates a little differently, or reacts to certain things a little differently. All our families want is a place to feel accepted, free from judgment, and have access to resources within our community that are more accommodating to those within the autism community. By providing an opportunity to proceed in the next steps needed to explore the feasibility to certify Huntington Beach as a certified autism destination, this would initiate one of many steps in the right direction to expand on the inclusivity Huntington Beach offers to its residents and prospective tourists. Not only will this create a welcoming environment that attracts those who are seeking an autism-friendly environment, it also enhances community engagement by raising awareness and understanding of autism and provides networking and collaboration opportunities for partnerships with autism-focused organizations within our community. Thank you for your time and consideration in City Council and item number 20, and thank you to Councilwoman Moser for putting this on the agenda. And happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Thank you for being here. Uh, next speaker, thanks for being here. Good evening, Mayor Strickland and City Council members. My name's Pat Goodman, and I wanted to express my support of agenda items 19 and 20, addressing uh, veterans' homelessness in our city and the feasibility of the city becoming a certified autism destination. We do have a Veterans Resource Center at the library that offers many services uh, to vets, including housing. Uh, it would be great to get a, a handle on the needs of veterans housing uh, to address this piece of homelessness. Um, as far as the HB becoming a certified autism destination, this certification not only benefits visitors, but also residents. Thank you for bringing these items forward, Council Member, Member Mosier. Um, and the Denny's uh, at Ellison Beach has an autism mural that uh, I get to go by every once in a while. I also want to thank uh, Council Member McKeon for shining some light on the 2022-23 audit adjustments. It is important for us to know this. It's also important uh, that these adjustments are to fund future liabilities and not operations. Uh, related to this matter, um, former mayors published an op-ed critical of many actions by the current city council majority, I think we're all aware of. They pointed out an estimated 2023, this year, 24, budget deficit of uh, 7.4 million. 
and uh, that was reported June 7th, 2023, at the uh, City Council meeting by the CFO. The adopted budget at the June 26, 2023 Council meeting ends the year with a 4.9 million surplus. The Council Majority's budget balancing plan adopted identifies 7 million in savings, uh, leaving an unknown adjustment of 5 million to get to the 4.9 million. A clear reporting of the swing would be helpful and we're looking forward to the mid-year budget report in January by the Finance Department. There remains a serious concern though that for the four years out from 2024 to through 2027-28 budget deficit each year, there's a budget deficit each year with a cumulative deficit of $23.9 million uh, in, the, uh, in the general fund. And I hope that there's been some study of this and uh, determination of what the causes are and how we might be able to best address Ten those. Ten seconds. I also want to take a minute to appreciate the Greater Huntington Beach Interfaith Council's Thanksgiving celebration, November 12th. It was a great event and uh, glad to see some council members there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Next speaker, thanks so much for being here. Hi everyone, my name is Cindy and I really want to wish everybody a very loving and thankful day on Thursday, uh, truly for each and every one of you. I also want to acknowledge and thank former First Lady Rosalind Carter, who passed this week, for all the service that she gave to our country. And I hope that the City Council continues to support the Planning Commission's uh, former decision in regards to the sober living home. Now, to talk about what I really want to talk about, I want to talk about the e-bike update and offer a couple thoughts on that as we move forward with it. It's obvious that a lot of time and effort was put into the educational um, programs uh, to our young people in that matter. And the data that's being presented to the council, um, I think it could be more helpful if there were a few additional data points that were added to that. One would be whether or not the ticketed young person attended one of the safety classes. Uh, if you find that 80% of the individuals being ticketed, not just pulled over, um, attended a class, then I think we need to kind of ask ourselves, well, how could we improve the classes, or what went wrong, where did this get missed, that kind of information, because you don't want it to look like just because we gave out a bunch of tickets and the rate of incidents went down that that's a comparison because it's a, there's a lot more factors involved with it. And there was such an emphasis on education. I think it's important that you find a way to measure that. You could just ask the young person, hey, did you have a chance to attend one of those classes? And if so, which one? No names or anything like that being attached to that. Also, I'm concerned about the um, individuals that come to Huntington Beach with their bicycles that may not be residents, may not have been involved in that, and how we can help educate them about the rules of Huntington Beach prior to them being stopped. And I had an idea about, um, it isn't just about at the beach, but at the beach parking lots, maybe on some of the um, poles, the light poles, there could be some nicely attractive signs that say, hey, Huntington Beach welcomes all bicyclists, and if you're planning to ride today, please scan this, uh, what's it, what are those codes called? The QR. QR code, please scan this QR code, 
And that would take them to like maybe a three-minute video, welcome to Huntington Beach, blah, 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 blah. We, uh, you know, we're here for recreation, and we want to bring to your attention a few of safety factors for bicyclists. Could be a very positive way to reach out to some of our neighbors uh, during vacation times. Ten um, seconds. What's that? Ten seconds. Okay, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much for being here. Next speaker, thanks for being here. Uh, I wasn't really going to speak on the bicycle thing, but I want to echo. I think the QR code idea is awesome. Um, I did want to speak on agenda items 19 and 20. Um, I do support both of those. Um, I think one thing that I would want to make sure is kept in mind with um, addressing the homelessness crisis. Uh, sorry, stumbling over my words. Um, the homelessness crisis with a uh, veteran community in Huntington Beach. Uh, I would hope that we are also making sure that these are accessible homes. Um, according to the most recent studies, only about 6% of, um, of new development homes um, are accessible to people with mobility disabilities, uh, which obviously is a much higher percentage in our veteran population. Um, but yes, I do support that. I did also want to support um, agenda item 20. Um, so I, I'll share some personal perspective from this. Uh, my best friend is autistic. Um, and you know we've been friends for 25 years, so I have seen her through the entire process of, of figuring herself out and going, getting the medical care and, and um, learning how to uh, you know adjust in the world around her with autism. Um, and I think that there is among people who don't know autistic people, there's a misunderstanding of what autism looks like, right? Because um, we often see people that we would, that some people might consider like severely autistic or whatever, um, which is not necessarily the correct way to say that. But there are a lot of people who have autism who you wouldn't necessarily know, right? Like my best friend is amazing. Like she is a, she teaches at two different uh, colleges here in California. She's currently pursuing her PhD um, in um, working with the uh, the movement towards neurodivergent inclu neurodivergence inclusion in higher education. Um, and one of the things, I asked her about this, Natalie, um, I asked her for her perspective, and one thing that she wanted to make very clear is how important it is to make sure that that is led by the autistic community. Because um, there are a number of organizations out there that are really well known um, with their, their, their work with autism, um, that have more of a like, let's cure autism approach. Um, and she wanted to make sure that that was, um, that that was brought up. So I think it's really cool. Um, I support both of those. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. That concludes public comments. All right. <clears throat> Members, moving down the agenda. Uh, does anyone, uh, council committee appointment announcements, does anybody have anything to announce? Seeing none. <clears throat> AB1234 reporting. Does anybody have anything to report? I met with some fire representatives. Okay. Uh, opens in negotiation disclosures. Does anyone have anything to disclose? Yeah. Uh, you gotta, um, yeah. Is it the fire management or fire? Both. Okay. With, and that's an open negotiation. Okay. Um, does anyone else have anything to disclose? Seeing none, <clears throat> city manager's report. City manager, please introduce your report on e-bikes. 
the Lieutenant Toby Archer will make the bike presentation. Thank you, Lieutenant, for being here. Good evening, Honorable Mayor and Council Members. Uh, I'm here to provide an update on the efforts city staff have been conducting with respect to uh, e-bikes. On September 25th, 2023, Council Member McKeon brought forth an H item to discuss the feasibility of a number of different action items. Uh, these items included a suggestion of either making or, or suggesting rental businesses provide a safety video to customers prior to renting e-bikes. A suggestion was made to create or amend the current municipal code to include higher fine structures and provide the authority and ability to impound e-bikes when a violation has occurred. Uh, Councilmember Kalmick suggested we look at a number of different engineering efforts to conform with best practices and to ensure safety through traffic engineering. Councilmember McKeon wanted us to work and collaborate with local schools for a comprehensive e-bike education program. Councilmember Bolton emphasized the need for continued community outreach and engage engagement. And Councilmember McKeon wanted staff to research the feasibility of creating a licensing program for e-bike operators. Uh, so to that end, we've been meeting with local businesses on a regular basis related to e-bikes. Um, on November 9th, the Huntington Beach Police Department facilitated a session with local businesses to film a promotional video to be provided to local businesses who rent and or sell e-bikes. Multiple local businesses participated by providing employees and e-bikes to be used in this video. The video uh, will be disseminated once editing and production of the video is complete. It will be provided to any business wanting to use the video prior to selling or renting e-bikes. And the video will cover all relevant safety topics that would be useful when someone is operating an e-bike in the city. Another topic addressed was the recommendation for a new municipal code to provide local control for e-bike regulation and enforcement. Uh, HPPD staff worked with the city attorney's office in authoring a new municipal code. Uh, on October 3rd, council unanimously approved ordinance 10.84.140. As you can see, 18 citations were issued in October and the numbers for November are still being tallied. In essence, the municipal code created an ordinance prohibiting the operation of an e-bike in an unsafe manner. This provided the ability for officers to issue citations for this section, both on public property as well as private property accessible to the public. The new municipal code also paved the way to increase fees for impounding e-bikes with a fee study and made the fines consistent with the existing council resolution for similar violations. Lastly, it gave, the ordinance gave officers the authority to impound e-bikes being operated unsafely by minors, requiring the e-bike to be released to a responsible adult. Uh, as far as engineering goes, the Public Works Department has worked uh, with Tool Design, which is a local contractor and consultant, and OCTA, who is conducting uh, studies on e-bike and e-bike safety to develop best practices with regard to e-bike infrastructure and development. Uh, they're currently in the process of developing a citywide mobility plan. Although uh, they have made many improvements to the, to the uh, Public Works Department has made many improvements, including uh, completing a third lane to the bike path along the bluffs. This gives cyclists a lane of travel in each direction while having a dedicated lane for pedestrian traffic in both directions. Bicycle Boulevard was recently completed, connecting pro uh, protected lanes of travel and designated lanes of travel for cyclists from Beach Boulevard to our downtown business district and beach areas. And lastly, we've collaborated with the Public Works Department to increase signage along heavily trafficked bike routes, and Public Works are also currently in the assessment process to locate and identify locations where more wrong-way signs uh, will be placed at highly trafficked areas. I've previously talked about the school program, but just a few key points regarding the school program. We initially partnered with Marina High School to develop a licensing program for students who ride their e-bikes to school. Uh, this year, the program was adopted district-wide and implemented at all four high schools in Huntington Beach. 
We are currently working with local middle schools to implement the program. Most middle schools in Huntington Beach have adopted the program and plans to have Fountain Valley School District implement the program are forthcoming. As you can see, Ocean View uh, and Huntington Beach City School District have already implemented. And we've had over 1,000 students uh, been through the class and have their e-bikes registered. Council directed staff to look into the feasibility of creating a licensure program of e-bike riders who are minors and do not yet have a California driver's license. The police department staff worked with the finance department to ascertain if we'd be able to enforce a potential licensing program. And it was the opinion of the finance department's consultant that we may not be able to enforce a law requiring a license based on existing municipal codes and the current vehicle code. Uh, Assembly Bill 1909 prevents municipalities from requiring a license for a bicycle, but does not directly address the issue of licensing a rider. There is pending legislation that may place responsibility on the state for licensing, and that is upcoming. And lastly, we've checked with other municipalities, and we haven't found a city or a county uh, that has implemented a licensing program locally. Uh, I just want to take a minute to highlight some of the additional efforts the police department has conducted on the education front. On, on October 26th, the police department held an e-bike summit where we invited local businesses, other law enforcement agencies, city planners and engineers, and school district personnel to collaborate on best practices with regard to education, enforcement, and engineering. We have hosted multiple community events where we have distributed over 178 helmets to youth in the community. This has included events such as the Junior Guard Public Safety Day, as well as many Tuesday night street fairs, to name a few. We have participated in the safety clinics put on by our private partners, and we've collaborated with private businesses to host and present at other events in the city, such as the one you see here. We developed and printed a trifold flyer to be distributed at community events, such as our bicycle rodeos. We then worked with finance to have this flyer distributed to all people receiving a water bill in the city. We also collaborated with the local school districts to have this same pamphlet sent out to parents during school registration in the fall. In 2023, we conducted nine grant-funded bike rodeos where we provided safety equipment and educational material to the public. And lastly, Sergeant Van Holt and I hosted a Facebook Live event where we discussed e-bikes, some of the dangers associated with riders, and encouraged the public to interact with us without ever having to leave their home. <clears throat> of course, we haven't exhausted all of our options with regard to education, but we certainly recognize the need for enhanced enforcement efforts. So to that end, we applied for uh, our local justice assistance grant to fund overtime efforts, specifically coinciding with bell schedules of local schools. This grant has been approved and we are waiting signatures before implementation. Uh, we currently have detailed our motor unit to have at least two motor officers at different middle schools and high schools uh, coinciding with bell schedules now, and officers from the traffic unit attended patrol briefings to discuss enforcement efforts and education related to e-bikes specifically the benefit of the new municipal code for operating an e-bike in an unsafe manner. Uh, and that kind of concludes the presentation of all of our different efforts that we're doing, and I'm happy to answer any questions if you have any at this time. Members, any questions? Go ahead, Councilman. Thank you, Lieutenant. I really appreciate uh, the synopsis on that. I've gotten feedback from other folks in other cities that got Google News alerts on e-bikes and saw what we were doing. We're really impressed with uh, kind of the uh, all the work that staff has done to really put together uh, a comprehensive program. While we're waiting, I think for the state to really um, update the laws so that we have you know more I think jurisdiction to enforce. Um, obviously, parental education is is key and and uh, first and foremost what we'd like folks to have. Um, speaker tonight, I think, brought up some interesting points about our visitors. Obviously, we don't want visitors to leave the city having a, a bad time, and um, there's a lot of officer discretion still in this, and I'm, I would assume, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll ask, I'll ask a leading question. Um, someone from out of town riding an e-bike, 
doing something stupid, gets pulled over, uh, find out they're not from Huntington Beach. Um, I'm guessing that potentially a warning, depending on how egregious what they're doing is. Yeah, I, I think, uh, like we talked about last time with the new implementation of municipal code, it gives them discretion to, to utilize that. And it, it's kind of like if it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck. If, if they're doing something that is inherently dangerous and the officer decides that the course of action uh, suffices with a warning and that's likely going to correct the action, then, th then they'll do that. And if they want to write a ticket, now at least they have another option with the municipal code to write something. It, it, I don't think with our implementation of the new, the new municipal code, you have to live in Huntington Beach or be familiar with Huntington Beach laws and regulations to know that doing something inherently dangerous is unsafe. Okay. Thank you again. And thank you for helping uh, and all the staff that helped put on the, the bike uh, e-bike symposium. I forget what we, what we called it specifically. But the, the summit. The summit. The summit. Um, yeah, I think it was uh, uh, folks from Costa Mesa, a bunch of other cities were there and, and industry and bike advocates. And I think it, uh, for the time that I was able to spend, it was, I think, really helpful for a lot of folks to kind of see what we we're doing. And I think, you know, next round, I think we'll have even more and more as we build, as more and more cities, I think, start to address this issue. So thank you. Uh, go ahead, Councilman. Sure, thank you. Um, I also just wanted to say thank you for all of your work and especially with the summit that we attended. Um, it was great to see the people who were there. Um, I know it was, I think the goal was like tons and tons and tons of people, but there ended up being a great amount of people who were very um, interactive with one another. Um, and I think it ended up um, just being a really good day um, and with a great outcome. One thing that um, with the numbers here, just a, a question. So I, I believe we've started recently tracking everything. I know we've been tracking many things for a long time. Is that right though? Like the way the numbers are here, it's kind of like our baseline. Yeah, I kind of skipped over just in the interest of time, uh, some of the statistics, but yeah, we, we, we feel like in 2023, we definitely have a much more robust understanding of the difference between the citations that were written to you know, analog bicycles versus e-bikes. Mm -hmm. And then na even now that we have a new municipal code, it's going to be even easier for us to track some of those because we know those are specifically issued to e-bikes. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It, yeah, it does. Well, I also was looking at the data thinking like, I wonder if since, since this is this year, I wonder if certain things are seasonal. I, you know, I just started just asking questions about it as I'm looking at it. So as we move along, you know, I'm assuming we don't have all this data, all of it, um, from before, but as we move along, if we can look at, um, you know, look for things and analyze the data, like are certain things seasonal? One of the things that was mentioned by one of the public commenters um, was like, how are we, um, uh, how are we defining success or measuring success? Um, she brought up a good point of, you know, if, if somebody is pulled over, have they attended a, one of the trainings? I mean, that, I, that is an interesting data point to, to gather. So what I'd love to see, maybe if we, if we do bring these forward in the future, is um, some type of like percentage changes or some type of analysis instead of just having all the numbers. Having all the numbers is the first important thing. Sure, yeah. And, you know, anecdotally, in talking to some of the officers, it's interesting because they will pull someone over, and now that we've done the, the licensure program with the schools, they can see if they've been through the class because they have the sticker on their bike. Yeah. And they've talked to some uh, you know, juveniles that have said, oh, I've already been to the class, or oh, I have to go to the class again. And that's usually an indication like, okay, maybe we need to elevate whatever enforcement efforts we're going to do as opposed to sending them to the class or giving them a warning. Maybe we're going to write them a ticket, or maybe we're going to do something different. Uh, along those lines, we've talked a little bit about the statistics internally with Captain Svensbo and the chief. And, and one, the big you know, X factor that we don't know is how many more bikes are on the market. So we can look and see that accidents are continuing to increase, but what we don't know is how many more bikes are on the market than, say, a year or two ago. And we're very confident, just 
by seeing them on the streets that the number has increased significantly. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as data analysis, I, I agree, you know, the program is not worth doing if you can't measure what success is. But uh, I think we've, we've had a, a lot of feedback from the public that at least some of the yeah. behavior is conforming. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful, and you bring up a good point that there are other factors that that go into this sure. um, and the success as well. I wonder if there's an, a a way to be able to get kind of just generic numbers of bikes, even sales numbers in the area. It wouldn't give us an exact, but if that's an, a needed point. Yeah, there may be some uh, a study like a generic study that we could look into and, mm -hmm. and look for that. Sure. And then just one last thing on the um, you know I know we have the ability to make decisions on you know on the road of how what type of um, whether we're going to write a ticket or what type of citation to provide. Um, have we considered, and I know it's not part of our current um, code, but like community service efforts, if maybe it reaches a certain point? Um, um, you, to be tr truthful, I, I haven't considered that. I don't know that we would have, I, I, that's going to be a, we have to work with the city attorney to see if there's yeah. a, a legality to do that. I mean, we might be able to offer that as an option. Uh, but it certainly wouldn't be something that we'd be able to enforce per se without legislation. And I don't know that we'd be able to do that from the municipal level, but I, okay. I don't really know, to be honest with you. Okay, thank you. Councilman McKinn. Toby, thanks for all the hard work and, uh, you know, jump on this quickly. We received a lot of positive feedback from the community. Good, thank um, you. So it's been great. And then just to kind of keep them updated, what are kind of some next steps that you think going forward? Uh, obviously continue what we're doing, but anything else in particular you want to point out? Yeah, so the video is going to be big. Once that's done, it'll be nice. Um, coincidentally, Mayor Strickland was out there, and we got a good little cameo shot of him introducing it, so that'll be nice. But uh, we want to promulgate that message. We want to get that out on the website, and I think there's some plans of, of having an e-bike dedicated website or a landing spot on the city's website for us to put some more of that information out there. Uh, it'll be a good ho home for that video as well. And then we're going to continue to do the enforcement, like I said, with, a, with a, the grant. And we want to continue to work with the schools to make sure. I think that's a big component of this. Yeah. And, it, and so far, it's been, it's been great. And they've been very cooperative. They were at the e-bike summit. They, they, they want to participate, and they want to help. So that's good. Perfect. I know I mentioned it last time, but when you actually impound the bikes, is it possible to walk the kids by the jail cell so they can see what the continued <laughs> bad behavior will lead to? Just kidding. <laughs> We'll show them red asphalt. We'll bring nice. that back. Nice. Thank you. No, thanks again. That was you guys are doing a great job. And like I said, there's a lot of positive feedback from the community. So keep going. Great. Thank you. Bolton, Councilwoman Bolton. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you uh, to you, Toby, and uh, your colleagues for all the work that you have done on this. Um, when I was looking at the slides that have by the numbers, um, what I was thinking about um, was trends and trying to understand. Um, you know, uh, from your perspective, perhaps what some of the trends are, and I know that we are um, kind of um, at an early stage in terms of our data collection, so this is not, you know, something that I expect you to, you know, kind of produce right now, but I agree with Councilwoman Moser that um, going forward it would be really helpful to have some analysis of the data that we have. So, for example, looking at the comparison, well, not even a comparison, but the data that has e-bike collisions and then, um, uh, citations, um, you know, I don't know if there's a correlation, um, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, whatever insight you can provide in the future would be very helpful. And even if um, you are able to locate studies um, that might help provide some context um, for the whole situation, so, you know, if it's um, difficult because of all the different um, 
co-factors to try to draw any kind of conclusion based on the data that we have. Maybe there's some studies that have been done by you know some agency like NHTSA or some statewide agency um, on um, you know collisions and enforcement efforts and things like that, just so that we have some context. Yeah, we, we've we've actually been to a few meetings with some consultant firms, and and it sounds like you know the the problem not that it's localized necessarily to coastal communities, but I believe Orange County and San Diego County are dealing with this far more than than most other regions for for a number of socioeconomic reasons. Um, I don't know that our numbers. I'm not an, an analyst by any any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know that our, our numbers are statistically significant. I mean, obviously these are just our e-bike citations and collisions. And again, the one big thing that we, we, we don't know is how many more of these e-bikes are on the road, right? So the percentages of collisions for e-bikes on the road may have actually gone down, but it's kind of hard for us to know. We do know that there's been a huge influx of bikes to the market in the last year or two. Uh, and this is just a graph of all the numbers, but you can see, I mean, from a police department perspective with bike stops increasing, you know, and, and data for us is, I don't want to say it's hard for us to get, but every time you know a motor officer puts out on the radio that they're out with a bike, oftentimes they're out with more than one bike. They're out with a group of bikes or, or whatever. Uh, so these numbers could, are, are probably a very low estimate on the far left column of all bike stops, but the, the amount of e-bike citations as you can see, you know, that, that's starting to go up. At, at, now that we have some more tools in our tool belt to be able to do this and do the enforcement, and, and collisions, you know, they're increasing, right? Um, Obviously, some of them, but I believe August is when we we, we are really confident that we were able to capture the collision data uh, related to e-bikes as opposed to just a bike being involved in a collision. So, um, but that's something that we can definitely look at for you know either next year or even you know going forward in the coming months to see if there's a better way to analyze the data that we have. Great, thank you. All right, seeing. No more questions. Thank you so much uh, for the presentation and all the hard work. Thank you. Thank you, Lieutenant. Um, members, now we move over to City Treasurer's report. City Treasurer, please introduce your report. Thank you for the opportunity to present the City Treasurer's quarterly report for the quarter ended September 30th, 2023. So for the quarter end, 9.30, the book value of the city's investment portfolio was 350.7 million with a market value of 335.1 million. And as you may know, as interest rates rise, the market value of the securities previously purchased with interest rates lower than the current market rates goes down. As investments are in our portfolio primar primarily held to maturity, the market value is only a point in time measurement and no losses are realized. The increasing interest rates will allow excess funds to be invested at higher <coughs> rates in the future. So the investments by type at the end of the quarter, uh, funds were invested in U.S. agencies at approximately 52% of the portfolio, U.S. treasuries at approximately 19% of the portfolio. Corporate bonds were approximately 12.5%. 
liquidity funds, meaning funds that are easily uh, available in cash, were invested in the California Asset Management Program, or CAMP, at 9.4% of the total portfolio, and 7% invested in the supranationals, which include the International Bank of Reconstruction and Development, or IBIRD, and IADB, or Inter-American Development Bank. And all supranationals have AAA ratings. Only the investment types allowed under the California Government Code and the city's investment policy are utilized. And you can find out more information about each of the investment types and the allowable percentages in the city's investment policy, which is on the city's website under city treasurer. So for the quarter ending September 30th, um, the city treasurer's office collaborates with the city's different departments to develop uh, cash flow projections in order to make sure that funds are available to meet the city's operating needs and investments are made primarily to match liabilities. As the Federal Reserve continued to raise rates throughout the year, available funds were invested into higher yielding options. For the quarter, one U.S. agency was purchased, totaling $2 million, and one supranational was purchased, totaling $5 million. Three U.S. Treasuries matured over the quarter for $15 million. Two supranationals matured for $9 million and two U.S. agencies for $10 million. Plus one uh, corporate bond for $2 million. The majority of the funds from these maturities were used towards funding city operations for the quarter. Earnings for the month of September were 740049 which was an increase of 77% from the same month in the prior uh, year. Fiscal year-to-date earnings of about $2.3 were up approximately 147% from the previous fiscal year. The higher earnings were due both to the increase in interest rates and the higher average balances of the portfolio, so both of those things. The effective rate of return for September was 2.59% with a fiscal year-to-date return of 2.61%. And the increase in the September rate of return over that of the fiscal year-to-date shows that the portfolio is moving in the right direction of increasing in interest uh, in its interest receivables. The benchmark has increased rapid, rapidly with a sharp rise in interest rates as well. At the end of September, the 12-month moving average of the interpolated 1.5-year U.S. Treasury was 4.71%. The portfolio will lag behind the benchmark as it will take time for previously purchased securities to mature and for funds to be reinvested. The city's investment portfolio remained in compliance with all relevant state codes and the city's investment policy with no exceptions. So this concludes my report for quarter ended September 30th and I'm open for any questions. Thank you. Any questions, members? Seeing none, I would like to move to receive and file city treasurer's quarterly investment report for September 2023 pursuant to section 17.0 of the investment policy of the city of Huntington Beach. I'll second. Been moved and seconded. Okay, I'm gonna call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosier. Aye. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Yes. Bolton. Aye. Burns. Aye. Item passes 7-0. All right, members, now we're moving on to the agenda consent calendar, item seven through 16. Does any member wanna pull an uh, item off the consent calendar? Seeing none, I move the consent calendar. Second that. It's been moved and seconded. All right. 
That's good. That's awesome. All right, let's take a vote. Yeah. Okay. Consent items <laughs> 7 through 16. It's a record. Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosher? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Yes. Bolton? Aye. Burns? Aye. Yay, 7-0. All right, members, now we're going down. Uh, file item 17. Uh, staff, please introduce your report. Good evening, honorable member and uh, honorable mayor and fellow council members. Uh, tonight, item 17 is an appeal of the Planning Commission's denial of administrative permit number 22015. The subject request is to provide reasonable accommodation to the operator of a sober living home on a property that's located 60 linear feet from an existing group home. Uh, in its recommendation to the council, staff identifies that this does not comply with the required 1,000 linear foot buffer between group homes, sober living homes, or residential care facilities. Here is a map indicating the subject property outlined in red, uh, and to the west, one door down from the subject property is the uh, identified elderly group home. Providing a little background, in October of 2020, the City Council adopted group home regulations. Uh, these are in the Zoning and Subdivision Ordinance as Section 230.28. Uh, this code provision requires ministerial approval of any group home or sober living home that serves six or fewer persons via a special use permit. Uh, prior to the issuance of a special use permit, uh, staff would determine that uh, the requirement to meet a 1,000 linear foot buffer between each sober living home and, or residential care facility has been met. In November of 2022, the applicant filed a request for SUP number 2212. This is an SUP for the subject property at 9452 Castlegate. Uh, as I identified previously, it does not comply with the 1,000 foot buffer and as such is not eligible for ministerial approval. The application was thus deemed void and no further action was taken. Under the provisions for reasonable accommodation in the municipal code, applicants with disabilities can seek relief from strict application of the regulation of the zoning and subdivision ordinance. These requests are processed as an administrative permit. Uh, the administrative permit itself is reviewed and acted upon by the Director of Community Development. The procedures and necessary findings are identified in the Huntington Beach Municipal Code, Chapter 17.77. And further, the ZSO Section 202.10 enables the Director of Community Development to refer matters involving development issues to the Planning Commission. And that is what occurred with the administrative permit request being uh, presented to Council tonight. As I identified in the Municipal Code, there are required findings when considering action on reasonable accommodation requests. The first finding is that the housing, which is the subject of the request for accommodation, will be used by an individual protected under the acts. Uh, staff is not making any uh, argument against that finding. Finding requirement number two is that the request for accommodation is necessary to make specific housing available to an individual under the acts. And the suggested findings for denial in this case identify that the request is not necessary to make housing available to disabled individuals. The city has issued a total of six SUPs that do comply with regulations and multiple sober living beds are currently available within the city. The third finding is that the requested reasonable accommodation will not impose an undue financial or administrative burden on the city and there are no conflicts here. The fourth finding is that the requested accommodation will not require fundamental alteration to the nature of a city program or to the city's zoning or building laws, policies, or procedures. As identified in our suggested findings, the request would require fundamental alteration of the zoning code in that the subject property is within 60 linear feet of a group home, which would not comply with the 1,000-foot minimum buffer. 
Finding number five in the municipal code is not applicable as it relates to homes that are in the coastal zone. On July 11th, uh, the Planning Commission voted unanimously to deny the subject request, and the property owner subsequently appealed that decision to the City Council on July 21st. At this time, uh, planning, uh, staff is recommending that uh, the City Council, I'm sorry, the Planning Commission uh, denied the administrative permit because, as I mentioned before, two of the four applicable findings could not be met. And as such, staff is recommending similar re uh, request that the council deny the subject appeal request. Um, and that concludes staff presentation. There are uh, members of the applicant and the appellant uh, that are present tonight, and that concludes our presentation at this time. Okay. Questions from members? Is there a will from the members? P public hearing. Open up the public hearing. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I guess we'll open the public hearing. It's not in the... Um, I have one um, announcement the, to make uh, um, some supplemental communication email received regarding the Planning Commission's denial of administrative permit 22015. Legacy Living LLC, Sober Living, Reasonable Accommodation. I don't have a speaker sheet, but obviously we do have a representative for the appellant here, and this is their time to speak. Okay. Without objection from members? Yeah. All right. Three, three minutes, sir. Thank you very much. I wanted to begin the hearing tonight to ask the question, why are we here? Um, the reason we're here is that the applicant was told that there was a conflict, a conflict of the 1,000 separation requirement in order to get an SUP. You'll see the slides. As it turns out, the conflict that was identified doesn't exist. Under your regulation, sober living homes have to be 1,000 feet from another sober living home or an alcohol or drug uh, state licensed facility. What was told to the applicant was that they were within proximity of, and here we go, if we can go ahead and next slide. Um, this is the email saying they have to apply for a, uh, next slide. Uh, this is they were told they have to apply for a reasonable accommodation. I recognize I only have three minutes, but perhaps this is worth your time. Next slide. Um, and the conflict that was identified was just down the road from them, certainly within 1,000 feet. And based upon that, the SUP application was voided. Next slide. And we went and applied for a reasonable accommodation. But in looking at the ordinance, the separation requirement, we came to realize that every distance is measured between two points. And the question became, was this disqualifying use one of the points that is covered in the statute. It's not. Next slide. The conflicting use that has been identified by staff and went to the Planning Commission was the address of 9422 uh, Castlegate. But it's not any of the uses that create the endpoint to which you measure the 1,000 feet. It's not a sober living home. It's not a drug and alcohol facility at all. Next slide. What is it? It's a 
licensed uh, elderly care facility by the Department of Social Services. Next slide. If we were going to talk about it in terms of Huntington Beach zoning code language, we would call it a, uh, a residential care facility. And that's how it would have been identified in the statute if, in fact, this was one of the endpoints to which this home had to be 1,000 feet away. Next slide. But it's not. A residential care facility is not a sober living home, nor is it a state licensed alcohol or drug recovery or treatment facility. Next slide. I raised this with staff, uh, and I will say just this evening, because it is a very complicated regulation you've passed with many uh, uh, different elements to it. And I think, in fairness, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, we have come to the conclusion that, in fact, this is not a disqualifying use. Now, there may be others. You all have decided that you're going to have a 1,000-foot separation, which I think is, uh, well, We'll see. But, but be that as it may, we don't have to talk about that. What we do have to talk about is okay. the reason we did a reasonable accommodation, the reason we went to planning commission, the reason we're here tonight is because we were told that this is a disqualifying use within 1,000 feet under the ordinance. And I think it's fair to say from both the city attorney representative as well as staff that it is not. And that was the basis of the reasonable accommodation. Do you have questions? No, I was gonna. I was just gonna clarify. If you have questions of the party affected, you can ask questions and get answers. We don't know how we're going to proceed at this point. We did provide staff with slides about how this is necessary and. All this, and as well as a, an analysis of the reasonable accommodation statute that you all have in place. But the reality is, is that we are here and did an appeal to the Planning Commission based upon something that is clearly not a disqualifying use. And so I'm not sure if any of that is really productive or helpful. I, we, we did provide the slides as well as we have individuals here who would testify about how, what a great, what a great uh, uh, group home it is. But all of that goes to the question of the 1,000-foot separation and getting a reasonable accommodation or exception to that. And what we've appealed and what we've presented to you and what's in your packet tonight, if you look in the packet at the map, what you see is the conflicting use is not covered by your statute. Thank you. Thank you. Will, will the council? Any other speakers? Um, we, have, we have no other speakers. Um, so you could close the public hearing, but I believe you can call people up for questions. Am I correct, City Attorney? Yeah. Close the public hearing. I'll make a motion to uh, move, the, move the item as recommended by staff. Second. I'd like to hear what Hayden has to say about what was just mentioned. Certainly. Thank you, uh, Councilwoman. Um, now, just to, to clarify, uh, what Mr. Brancard identified is in the ZSO, he cites specific language and how that applies to our implementation of this ordinance. Um, what he does identify is, in the core of his argument tonight, is that the elderly group home that's identified by staff in our report as a basis of, making, uh, of not making one of the required findings uh, as an elderly group home does not 
is not applicable as a disqualifier. Um, now, I can't weigh in on that specifically, but I can at least identify that even in, in that case, elderly group homes may not, be, may not have been specifically identified in the way that he believes that they should be in the ZSO. However, the subject property is still within 150 linear feet of a residential care facility that's licensed by the state for drug and alcohol recovery. And that being said, and for the purposes of the record, it would not, in effect, change staff's recommendation at this time. Um, and that also being said, it would be up to the city council to make the determination of whether or not reasonable accommodation should be provided, as this is a de novo hearing. Um, so that really is just some of the, the clarifier I'd like to make. All right. Um, it's been moved. It's been seconded. Uh, clerk, call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosher. Aye. Vandermark. We're we're voting. Yes. 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 Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Yes. Bolton. Aye. Burns. Aye. The item as proposed passes seven zero. Okay. Members, now we're on to file item eighteen. Um, staff, please introduce your report. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Uh, City Manager Al Zelenka re resigned on a November 8th to retire from public service and left that position now vacant. Uh, police Chief Eric Parra is recommended to fill in as interim city manager slash police chief. Therefore, staff is asking that the council approve resolution number 202360 and amendment number one to the employment agreement with Eric G. Parra, interim city manager slash police chief. I move that we... Uh Go forward on staff recommended action. Second. It's been moved. It's been seconded. Clerk, call the roll. Councilmember Kalmick? Aye. Mosher? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Yes. Bolton? Aye. Burns? Aye. Item 7-0. All right, members, we're now on file item 19. Uh, Councilmember Mosher, please introduce your report. Sure, that came quick tonight. Um, okay, thank you very much. Um, so my report is on, our initiative is on veterans homelessness. And um, in lieu of, you know, reading, reading the item, um, just I wanted to give a little bit of information on the origin um, of kind of where it came from. So um, it, it is mentioned in there, but a few weeks ago on Veterans Day, um, during our Veterans Day ceremony <clears throat> down at Pier Plaza, um, one of our speakers, or the speaker um, for the event, uh, Colonel Hendrickson, um, did an excellent job in um, just talking about his service and patriotism, and then also in his experience as a um, helicopter pilot in Vietnam. Um, he told a little bit about his story, um, and part of what he mentioned and shared was that as a helicopter pilot, um, it was his responsibility and his relationship with the people that he was dropping off that he was going to come back for them and to pick them back up. Um, so within that trust relationship, he said, um, you know, that's what they expected him to do was to pick them back up. With that in mind, he talked about um, veterans who are homeless within our community. And when I say our community, I think the broader community as well. And he said, that's just not right that we have veterans that are homeless in our community, that essentially we have perhaps as a, as a community not valued that trust and have not picked them back up and that that's essentially not right. Um, I appreciated his, uh, his words and his concerns and that he brought them there in that forum 
that's not typical of the conversation that happens on that day, but I thought that it was really important to consider the lives of many of our service members who um, are out on the streets. That being said, um, I also was thinking that, um, you know, as somebody who was witnessing this dialogue or this speech, um, and as many of our community members were there, they might wonder if we're doing anything for our homeless veterans. And as somebody who has been um, very active in advocating um, within, on homelessness in the city of Huntington Beach prior to being on council, while on council working to create a system of care for all of our populations, um, I know that we are doing a lot of good work um, for a lot of our different populations who are homeless or unhoused. So I really thought this, though, was an opportunity to reach back out to the community to talk about what we're doing with a study session, to also um, bring all of the people together that work in this particular area. Um, think people like the Veterans Resource Center, of course, our social workers, um, our case managers, um, maybe even our legislative officials as well, to talk about the resources that are there, um, also to share stories, um, anecdotes about maybe some challenges, perhaps even some bottlenecks within the system, and also to get out um, specifically more, more data so that we can communicate that to the public so that way they know um, how we're doing in this particular area. Um, throughout the time that I've worked on, in homelessness um, efforts, I've, t I've looked at a number of different approaches, and, and one of those, um, you know, community solutions specifically, and I won't get into the meat of it, but ultimately they look at different populations, um, when, and they look at that um, trying to make sure that homelessness is brief, rare, and non-recurring. And they often, actually most often, look at veterans first for a number of reasons. One is that there tend to be fewer in that population so that they can kind of get a handle on that. And two, um, so that they can, um, there are so many more resources generally available to veterans. Um, so really the veteran homeless population is uh, a, a population that will allow us to really have a further conversation within our community about homelessness, about what we're doing, about the system of care, where some bottlenecks are, and where there are opportunities and gaps for us to improve. Um, and, you know, my um, fellow council members um, talked a lot prior to being on council about um, the challenge of homelessness, as we all have here. And I thought that... Um, Perhaps in the past, a lack of communication about what we're doing led to some misinformation. And what a great opportunity to be able to not have that misinformation and actually get um, the people who are working on this day to day to talk about it with us. So essentially what I've asked for is requesting the city manager and staff to schedule and conduct a collaborative study session focused on veterans homelessness in the first quarter of 2024. Um, to develop a targeted action plan based on the session's findings. That's assuming that we find findings there that we're not already working on. Um, there's always opportunities for improvement, though. Also to engage with local, state, and federal agencies for maximum support, and to regularly review and adjust the strategy for effectiveness. Of course, again, a lot of these things intersect in general with our homeless populations or those that are unhoused, but I think it is there is value to specifically respond 
to what was discussed in public on Veterans Day, that that's just not right that we have veterans who are homeless, which I agree with, but it is a uh, complicated story, a complicated situation, and I think it's valuable to have those discussions in front of the public and with one another um, so we can see also how we might better need to advocate with our, um, our legislative officials beyond the city. Councilman Burns. Although on its surface, it's a great idea. I mean, I love supporting our veterans in every way we can, but this whole thing is already being done by our homeless task force. They're doing a great job. They, this would be a uh, recreating a system that we already have. Uh, our homeless task force has kept the stats. They made 64 contacts. Uh, 27 of the veterans they contacted have HB ties. Uh, they were 20, those 27 referred to shelters, and four of those were permanently housed through the Homeless Task Force and Navigation Center. We have, the, they are being taken care of the best they can within our means, and I believe that this is well intended but unnecessary in every way that It'd be a waste of uh, staff time and just repeating something that we already have. So I can't support this. Councilman McCann. Yeah, I was going to touch essentially the same thing because I reached out to Lieutenant Smith and um, like Councilmember Burns said, of course, like we all were there for that day and it's very powerful, but <clears throat> reached out to Lieutenant Smith and these items are duplicative of what we're already doing. So Lieutenant Smith, you mind just kind of coming up and updating the community on like, you know, what we're already doing for veterans, that kind of the process to, to get to this point, the challenges, et cetera, just to kind of bring some more transparency like Councilman uh, Member Mosier brought up. Before you proceed, if I could just say one thing, this effort is not to create a whole new system. Um, it's actually to do what you're asking them to do right now and more, which is just to bring forward what we're already doing. Um, to provide that data, and then also to, um, it's not duplicative, because it's literally trying to provide the information and communication, along with more um, of a collaborative approach with additional people like from the Veterans Resource Center, who we're not going to have here tonight. Um, so just, just to be clear, bringing information forward to the public is not a bad thing, um, and that's really all that's being asked of here, in addition to identifying opportunities and gaps. Um, and um, one more thing before proceeding. Um, you know, I think that another thing is important that uh, Councilmember Burns mentioned, which I also had the same data that you had, um, so I appreciate that. Um, but within that, we didn't talk about, what, of the four people that were housed, what happened to the other 23? So, and I think that's the type of conversation and type of information that I like to further have so that we better understand how we can make, reduce that from the 27 or the 24, whatever it is, to nothing, um, to essentially functional zero. So sorry for interrupting, but I appreciate you being here. No, and hopefully Jessica Kelly and I are here to help answer any questions that might arise from this discussion. Um, veteran homelessness is something we've always taken seriously. I'm a veteran. One of our homeless task force officers is a veteran who has uh, spent a lot of time and dedicated effort to um, addressing homeless veterans in our community and really building those bonds with them. Because that's what it takes is establishing trust to break through those barriers that led them to being homelessness, to being homeless, 
and resistive to any of the services that aren't out there. All housing, housing programs need to be voluntarily, um, a voluntary commitment to take advantage of them, and it takes time to build that trust. Our teams utilize a variety of resources. We're very fortunate in Southern California to have direct access to the Veteran Affairs um, Hospital in Long Beach, where there are significant services and an entire office dedicated to um, homeless services and our homeless veterans. Jessica and her team frequently reach out to those or to one particular individual that has helped get people into housing with one day turnaround to a week um, range. She can speak more on that herself. Uh, but we work closely with the Department of Veterans Affairs, Long Beach VA with our on-site homeless services. We have access to the California Department of Veterans Affairs, our Orange County Veterans Service Office. 211OC also has resources for the veterans, as well as the City of Huntington Beach through our Library and Veterans Service Center, or our Library Veterans Service Center, and our uh, social services outwork, outreach workers. Most of the programs we have do ultimately lead people back to the federal Veterans Affairs system because they're ultimately responsible for assisting um, the veterans in need. Um, so a lot of the, the needs for us is, as you mentioned earlier, is the legislative advocacy on behalf of veterans to further support the federal and state and countywide efforts to support the programs and expand them. We are seeing an expansion of housing projects throughout the county to specifically help our unhoused veterans and those needing permanent supportive housing. And then there's also between civic groups and nonprofit organizations that we'll also utilize to get the services that they need. But as I said, ultimately leads back to the Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA healthcare system, which has seen significant improvement over the past you know, six to eight years. Very good. Council, Councilwoman. So uh, thank you for being here. So, you know, we have a member of the community essentially who asked the question. Okay, so he, there's a speaker at the Veterans Day um, event. Um, so what that says to me is perhaps he wasn't aware of what we're doing. So that raises the question, um, do we need to do something in the way of additional community engagement so that more people are aware of what we are doing that is specific to veterans? That's why I do think there would be some value in doing a study session so that we can provide this information to the public. And also, um, you know, maybe that is what we need to do. Maybe we... Um, um, you know, I, I want to be able to answer that question. So if someone else approaches us and says, what are you doing for homeless veterans? Clearly, you know, I didn't feel like I had the answer to that question on Veterans Day when that person came and gave that speech. So I appreciate, again, what you've said, but, you know, we wouldn't have an opportunity to talk to the folks from the Resource Center, as Councilmember Moser mentioned, and also consider things like community engagement and whether we need to do some more in that regard. So I do support um, the effort, the request to have a, a study session. And moved and second. I don't think there's uh, been a motion or a second. Oh, okay. Yeah, are you, are you wanting to speak? Okay, Councilman. Um, thank you uh, for bringing this item forward. Um, it was you know, rather telling uh, during Veterans Day uh, to have Lieutenant Colonel uh, talk about this issue, and I, I think it was... Um, I, th I think, I don't know, I think the sentiment was like it was, you know, somewhat uncomfortable and I think that that's the best time to have that conversation. Um, having a study session to call out veterans I think is extremely important. Um, we promote, um, 
veterans um, in our community. We have, we approved an item tonight to recognize those that serve in our community on banners on our streetlights. The only flags we're allowed to fly in this community in addition to government flags are the flags of the armed services and the MIA, KIA flag. Um, I think we need to identify um, why veterans in our community are um, staying unhoused. And I think the key point of this is um, it was mentioned that they had to call an officer to get this information. It's not readily available to the public. We want to be transparent with the public with what we're doing with veterans and, and homelessness. And so I think having a study session in Q1 gives staff enough time to be able to put this together and then invite our federal partners, uh, someone from our Congresswoman's office and, our, and potentially our state senator's office to find out where there are gaps potentially for the city that could be changed at the federal level um, and insight. We got received a letter from Katie Porter's office today talking about some of the advocacy that they can do uh, and the assistance that they can have. Um, and we can talk to our residents about how we're plugged in with that currently and if we're availing ourselves of our federal representatives to help get folks through into the VA system. Um, and then I think adjust the last item, which is adjusting the strategy, I think goes into the quarterly updates, right? I think that this at the study session we have a conversation about how we want to address um, veterans as, as a part of the dashboard, as part of our information. And I, so I think this item doesn't do anything duplicative and, and really um, calls out and identifies uh, the information as to what we are doing for our veterans with homelessness who I think um, was indicated have more resources available to them than um, than folks that aren't veterans. And so um, I'll be supporting this item. I think it's um, pretty straightforward and it's just calling for information and getting information to our public so that they know that we have, uh, in addition to our quarterly uh, updates on homelessness, that what we're doing to, um, to take care of our veterans in the community. Yeah, and I don't disagree. I'm just very sensitive to Lieutenant Smith's time because again, I feel it's duplicative. He's, they're already doing this and the information's there. So I think maybe like a, you know, Q1, like a town hall might be a better form where people can actually like ask questions and we can present where a study session you really can with the audience. I mean, mm -hmm. Lieutenant Smith, would that be something that, would a town hall be a, a good medium for you guys to maybe get that information out and answer some questions to the public and some stakeholders? I believe between the resources we have in the city manager's office and the police department, we could gather a plethora of resources that could be there to present that it would be very easy to do. I mean, that's what I would say. I would just, <clears throat> to move this forward, I would do like a substitute motion, just to have a, like a mayor's town hall in Q1 and just the way to give like a better medium for engagement. Cause I feel like study sessions is just not the right, like platform to, to get all that feedback you guys want. So I think like a, a town hall would be a better medium. I'll, I'll second the substitute motion. Well, first of all, it's it's not a substitute motion because there hasn't been nomination. a motion made yet. There's been a motion. Oh, so that could be the first motion. Okay, first motion. Councilmember okay. McKeon, you've stated previously that in order to elevate issues, you'd like the whole council to be able to do this. So are you, is this not that then? That this isn't an important issue enough to have the entire council discuss? And at a study session, we can structure it as such that we can have folks come down and be able to interact with them, not just the public. And the public can make their public comments. But during a study session, we can have... Um, members from the from the different agencies that we'd like to invite be make testimony that doesn't involve the three minutes that we it's, it's our leisure as how we discuss that but I really like the town hall forum I, I, I think it's it's there's more engagement there's more questions with the public uh, more interaction if you guys but if your goal is to get more information out that we're already doing I, I think that's a good medium so um, but not all seven of us can participate well, in that yeah if it's really important to some I mean again I 
I'm no, just, no, but, just, but yeah. not all seven of us can participate sure. in a town hall session. Sure, but again, I just... So it's the most important issue in the city, and yet you but want to they've already like the, They're already us. doing the work, and they already have the report, so I Are just, they? Yeah. Are they doing all the work that... Have they dug through and said... We, this is how we have, we have hit every single possibility for veterans, that there's no other blank spaces that we've identified that they could be working harder to serve our veterans in our community. Lieutenant Smith, I mean, do you want to comment on that? I just feel like we, we talk a lot, and it's, I know you guys are working so hard. You, you're, I mean, I talk to you almost daily. I just don't want to duplicate your time and efforts to recreate studies and sessions and all those things when we already have the information. And if the issue is that the community doesn't know what we're doing, then I feel like a town hall is a great medium to get that information out. And I have full faith and confidence you guys are doing everything because I talk to you all the time about it. I, w I would leave that up to you as the council to dictate mm -hmm. how the information is presented. We will be able to accommodate any way you want, whether it's a town hall, uh, council study session, updating our, our internet services. Um, any of those options will require some dedication of time, which will take staff away from traditional duties. But it is important to get that information out so we will be able to do whatever the council's direction is. I'd like to make a substitute motion Sure. that we um, do have the study session that we can make it more of a town hall format where it can have more back and forth that way that all of the council members can participate actively um, because if there are things that we see that you know will be opportunities for us to make decisions on we can at least have that conversation and dialogue on the dais um, and I think that either way, it is going to require time, as was mentioned, um, of the team. So um, if we would all be able to participate in the most important thing and also get the information out to the public, I think that's important. One other thing that you mentioned, and I know, Robin, now I've created a longer motion here. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think part of what we're already working on is additional data to go to um, to the um, the website as it's being updated, correct? Yes, as the city's new website rolls out, we'll be able to put more data on Do that. you know when that, not the website, but, well, maybe. <laughs> Do you have any idea, like a, a year? No, okay, well, I'll ask a different question later on that. Um, but anyway, my substitute motion would be to have um, a study session with more of a, um, I guess, town hall type of format here in council um, for a council meeting, um, and so we could get that information out to the public um, I'll second it. Okay, it's been moved and seconded. The clerk called the roll on the One substitute. One more thing. Sure. Um, I, I just think it's really important to acknowledge that I know how hard and all of the work that's being done, but not everyone in the community does, and there's always an opportunity for improvement. And when there's not, that's something to be celebrated too, but there's always an opportunity for improvement and to gather more stakeholders to have the conversation so we can all better understand and so the public can better understand as well. I value all of your time and our limited resources, um, but again, I think that there's so much um, opportunity in getting the proper information and conversation out to the community and to um, to see where the challenges are. You know, I've talked to Frank in the Veterans Resource Center as well. We've had lots of conversations. Um, and there were different types of things that I didn't know about that I think would be good to talk about here. Um, so I, I think that it's it's... There's already a system in place, is what was said. Um, there's already work being done, is what I will say. There is a system of care that is there, and there is a connection to federal and state and county resources that are there. But I think it's worth talking about that. 
um, in front of our community so they can better understand that. And if they might know someone who's homeless uh, or unhoused and who's a veteran, they can help maybe get them along to the right resources as well. And if we can help one person in that way, that's valuable too. Um, but I, I, I really think that communication and uh, transparency and data, once we are able to put that on, on our websites, um, is so important. And to say that it's duplicative, I think is, um, is a shame because you're saying that all of these things are happening and they were happening before as well when, when a lot of folks said that they weren't. Um, so I wanna make sure that we can level set, let everybody know what we're doing and move on. So, clerk, call the roll on the substitute motion by Mosier. Okay. Councilmember Kelmick. Aye. Mosier? Aye. Vandermark? No. Strickland? No. McKeon? No. Bolton? Aye. Burns? No. The substitute no. motion no. fails three Now, four. the original motion by McKeon, please call the roll. And seconded by you, correct? Correct. correct. All right. The original motion uh, for a mayor's town hall on this item. Councilmember Kelmick? Abstain. Mosier? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Yes. Bolton? Aye. Burns? Aye. Okay, that is 601 with Kalmick abstaining. Okay, members, now we're on to file item number 20. Council Member Moser, please introduce your report. Thank your you. Um, yes, so tonight I'd like to propose and discuss agenda item 20. Um, which I think is a pivotal step, first step towards making Huntington Beach um, potentially a certified autism destination, which will also result in a more autism-friendly community. Um, this initiative is a testament, I hope, to our commitment to being a more inclusive um, and welcoming city and also a commitment to our community's well-being. Um, you know, on a personal note, and um, you know, as elected officials and leaders, we have many responsibilities um, within our roles. Uh, we have to be a fiduciary, make sure that we're taking care of the, of the city's money and the budget. We need to make sure that we maintain and improve city services. Also that may, we maintain and improve our infrastructure. Um, and finally, that we maintain and improve our community's quality of life. So I've heard it said um, by other council members before, um, things that they are most proud of. Um, for me, um, one of the things that I am most proud of, um, which is more on that last item, is um, our work that we've done on homelessness, um, on developing a system of care, and specifically on our Be Well mobile crisis response vans in the community. But the second thing that I'm most proud of is one that I hadn't even thought about prior to being on the city council. And, um, and I've talked about it before, but um, you know, prior to even being officially on the dais, um, my public works commissioner, who I didn't even know at the time, reached out via Instagram to me um, to talk about uh, adaptive surfing and how he helps teach and uh, lead adaptive surfing in the community. It wasn't rocky. Um, and uh, I got to go out with him and with um, Kumaka and his family, who was, I think, turning 13 at the time, who has spina bifida, if I'm not mistaken, um, and uh, got to see how difficult it was for him to get from the parking lot all the way down to the water. And as a result of that advocacy um, by um, my now Public Works Commissioner, uh, Dave Gins, um, and that family, seeing um, the challenges that they had, 
we were able to work as a city to uh, implement with public works and the city manager's office our Moby mats or our public or beach access pathways. Um, this is a, a, a form of basically light infrastructure that we were able to um, implement on May 5th, 2021. So just a very short time after I got to be on council. And for me, that's one of the things that I'm the most proud of in my time on council. I'm most proud of that because um, you know, I didn't realize how difficult it was for people um, with different abilities to get down to the water. And I wanted, after seeing that, everyone to be able to have access to our most, um, one of our, our greatest jewels, which is our ocean. So with that, I also saw the value and the benefits that came after we um, first did the Moby Mat at the north side of the pier and later the south side of the pier, where um, our visitors bureau used those pictures. We talked more about um, being more accessible as a community. Um, you know, it's those types of things which, number one, will hopefully welcome more folks into the community um, to be able to spend their dollars here. Um, but also that will um, welcome other large events, like, for instance, our parasurfing um, event that happened just a few weeks ago as well. Another thing that I think is important with uh, the Moby Mat, and I'll get to um, the neurodivergence and autism in just a second with that, but is with the Moby Mat, um, when it was put out there, it was specifically done for people who um, were, were differently able, maybe were in a wheelchair or what have you, um, and had a hard time getting down to the water. But what we saw after a very, sh actually the first day that it was there, was that it was not only people who were in wheelchairs that were using the mat, it was a lot of our community. Um, I know that there were some folks that were not able to make it down to the beach because they had a hard time walking, um, and they were able to walk on a firmer surface. There were people with their strollers, their beach carts, all these different things. So um, some infrastructure that was built and placed there for one particular population ended up helping all sorts of people in the community. And so when I think about this certified autism destination, I see it as a similar type of opportunity. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to be able to open up um, our community and look through a different lens at the way people experience our community. It's not only for um, for people visiting, obviously, but it's also for, for the community. If I can pull up or have the, um, the presentation pulled up that's in the item, that would be great, which is the benefits of Huntington Beach becoming a certified autism destination. Thank you. So I'm just going to go um, really, really through that. Um, and, and one other thing before I do... It, the other thing that's important here is I've had a lot of conversations over the years with folks, and, and maybe um, put it down for just a second, a lot of conversations with folks who have, um, who have uh, neurodivergence, um, who ha are onto the autism spectrum, and who, um, especially with their kids, have not been able to um, be in different situations, as were mentioned during public comments. Um, specifically, um, one of my friend's uh, son, and actually they wrote in um, in the supplemental communications, um, you know, they talked about how difficult it, it was um, to be able to go out um, because a lot, of the, a lot of the kids or a lot of people with, um, with on the spectrum 
have a hard time with noise, have a hard time with certain light, have a hard time with different situations, and essentially, as was discussed, might have a meltdown. And while you know, our mobile crisis response vans are there to help when people have a mental health crisis, that's not what's happening in these situations. And if there are more supports there for the people that are experiencing those challenges and who know what types of situations will end them up into that, that situation, then we will then open up our doors, our facilities, it was talked about our libraries, our, our beaches, everything to more people. And that should be our goal, is to create a better quality of life for everyone. So to go through the benefits here, though. So first is inclusivity and accessibility. It creates a welcoming environment for individuals with autism spectrum disorder. It also enhances our city's reputation as an inclusive destination. Um, this directly leads to the next one, which, though this wasn't included, it says it's an administrative item, I'd actually like to say that I think it does go along with our strategic plan in that it is a measure of economic development as well as public safety. But within the economic development piece, the next piece is economic advantages. It attracts families and individuals seeking autism-friendly destinations and boost local economy through increased tourism spending. Um, we heard earlier today from um, Visit HB's Kelly Miller talking about um, their work that they've been doing. And actually, when I got onto council, we started talking about this right away. The work that they're doing to try to make Huntington Beach known as a more accessible destination. And there's a lot of dollars out there that are ready to be spent for places that are, that are actively working to be more inclusive. One of the places that, um, that is already doing this is the first um, autism um, certified, certified autism destination is Mesa, Arizona. And um, the gentleman there who really worked to um, advocate for this was on their tourism bureau. And he specifically had a situation in San Diego with his family, with his son, where his son had, quote unquote, a meltdown. And for him, he realized in that moment that it was embarrassing. There was nobody there to provide active supports. And he wanted to do better for his community. So he went back to Mesa, Arizona, and they worked to make their city the first certified autism destination. And with that, with that designation, they are opening up to millions of dollars of potential investment into their community through tourism. And one of our responsibilities, especially with more challenging economic times with our budget, is to find new opportunities to increase potential monies coming into the city um, through tourism dollars. And I think that this is a great opportunity to be able to do that, as has been affirmed by our, our Visitors Bureau with Visit HB who have been doing great work. We're recently up in Canada um, working with the airlines there and trying to find different ways to be able to um, make it more accessible for people to come down to this area to, um, to maybe work with our hotels, to work with the different restaurants, to find ways that we will be able to educate train and um, also then communicate to the, to the public that we are welcoming to them. The next piece is community engagement. It raises awareness and understanding of autism within the community and encourages local businesses to adopt inclusive practices. And here, um, I would like to, um, to reach out to um, Ashley Wasaki about this piece a little bit. I have a few questions that I think are probably relevant to this. 
Um, so Ashley, I know that you and your team have also been working along these areas. I know we recently had um, the, I forgot the name of it here, the, um, the board that's over at Eater um, that's able to be able to communicate uh, or help people to better communicate. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? But then also, um, I just wanted to understand a little bit more beyond that. Um, have you had community organizations or members uh, reach out to you about this type of effort? And can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So recently we were able to unveil Huntington's first AAC board, which is an alternative and adaptive communication board. And that board is over at Eater Park. Um, and it essentially is a board that has a series of icons that are custom to the amenities of the park. And um, underneath each of those icons are the, the word for that icon in both English and Spanish. There's also an alphabet, which is inclusive, uh, uh, that also includes the um, Spanish alphabet. And so what this board does is it gives um, individuals who have communication challenges the ability to point to those icons and then be able to communicate to whomever is with them to say, I'd like to go on the swing or go play in the sand. So that is um, the first board of its kind in Huntington Beach. And shortly before we unveiled that board, um, we were approached by another resident, <clears throat> excuse me, um, who brought up the idea of Huntington Beach having more AAC boards um, and also um, brought forth some information on Mesa, Arizona and the um, Autism Certified Destination. And so on our team, we do have um, a couple of team members who are very passionate about making our programs and services more inclusive. So um, as previously mentioned, this is an initiative that we have already kind of been scratching the surface on. Um, I think the, the Autism Certified Destination is definitely a, a big, big um, dream of ours. And knowing that Visit HB has a similar desire to achieve this goal, there, there is an opportunity there to um, welcome in more visitors, but then also in a meeting that we had last week um, with another uh, set of residents who um, also are passionate about making our programs and services more inclusive, they were actually looking at um, opportunities to create more awareness through education for our residents and business owners and, and service providers. And additionally, also um, looking at our existing programs and services and how do we just create more opportunities for inclusivity through things like sensory tents um, and event maps so that before parents show up to the events, they're aware of where the restrooms are, and there's a little bit uh, more knowledge for that parent who knows that their child might have some, some different needs. And so through all of this, what I didn't hear was there was a desire to have standalone events that we would have to create, but it was really focusing on what do we have and how do we create um, opportunities for more people to be included through small shifts in our, in our program and service delivery. Thank you. Um, another thing, too, and you already kind of talked about it a little bit with um, welcoming more people in to have um, conversations, people who are already doing the work, different businesses, organizations, things like that, too. Um, one thing we had talked about in the past and actually had gotten approved was a disability um, advisory committee. And I think that um, you had kind of gone out looking at best practices in different cities. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, we do know that the city of Irvine has a disabilities advisory committee. And in talking with them, that committee is um, focused in on looking at upcoming projects. 
and identifying maybe there's a walkway that um, uh, typical people would not think is a very long walkway, but uh, simply adding a bench halfway th down the walkway to give a break point would be something that this committee would provide insight on. So through the lens of their different abilities, they would say, hey, maybe a bench would be best here or some other amenity to make their ability to traverse that open space um, easier. And so there is an opportunity to create something like that. But what we were also talking about was there are so many um, more knowledgeable people and experts in our community than our team currently is. We don't have a therapeutic recreation certified professional on our team. And so working through all of these other agencies and individuals who have a passion for serving our community and making it more inclusive, there's an opportunity to develop some sort of collaborative where everybody comes to the table and it's a ripple effect of not only knowledge, but starting to see some of these best practices infused into not only um, offerings by the city of Huntington Beach, but also maybe church events and some other events that are going on in the community because the city isn't the only um, event organizer here. Okay, so I appreciate that idea of looking, kind of moving it maybe from uh, a committee perhaps to a collaborative with different organizations, businesses, nonprofits, and people who are all being impacted or affected or part of the autism spectrum. Um, disordered community, but also um, just neurodivergent. Just, just, and, and this is a challenge too, right, for me, because I want to speak properly about this, and I'm not, and I know that. And so I think there's an opportunity also for all of us to, especially those that aren't working with it on the daily, um, to better understand the language um, so that we, we can better talk about all of these things as well. Okay, uh, back to, thank you. Improved services and facilities. It leads to enhancements in city infrastructure and services for better accessibility. Benefits all residents and visitors, not just those with autism. Um, so I think what's important is um, one of the things that Ashley just talked about was it's not just about big projects that we're doing, but it's also about just functional adaptations um, to things that we're already doing. And also that will kind of move into the rest of the community perhaps. So that way other people that are having events and things like that will know better how to, um, to make them more inclusive and more welcoming for everybody. Um, in addition, what was included in the, in the, um, uh, in the proposal was the, um, more of a planning document. And I think that the other opportunity there is to look at things through that lens um, of those who ha are neurodivergent. And as we work on new projects or retrofit old projects, we can consider those things as we're looking at maybe even our zoning or planning as well. So that could be part of this too, though not necessarily as part of a certified autism destination, but just really making it more of an autism-friendly city. Another thing, the positive city image. It positions Huntington Beach as a leader in inclusive tourism and attracts a diverse range of visitors and promotes a positive global image. I think we have, um, I think, a need and an opportunity um, to do that with this. When we had um, the Parasurfing Championships a few weeks back, it was so wonderful. And I think everybody would say that it was an incredible event and really helped elevate the city of Huntington Beach as a world-class destination for events, for um, accessibility. And we have an opportunity to go beyond what we've done and actually show that we prioritize that, we value it, and we're going to expand upon it. Finally, networking collaboration, which we did just touch on. It opens opportunities for partnerships with autism-focused organizations and facilitate sharing of best practices and resources. 
So, I mean, what I'm asking for here as a recommendation is to conduct a thorough review of the feasibility and requirements for Huntington Beach to become a certified autism destination. That being said, um, this isn't something at this point that would cost a lot of money. This is really looking at, from the staff's perspective, um, what has been done elsewhere, what are the best practices, what did Mesa, Arizona do also? I know Visalia and the city, I think of Palm Springs, um, they are currently autism certified centers in lieu of destination. So there are people who are already doing this work. I think we could reach out to without having to take a tremendous amount of staff time. Um, also then to engage with experts and stakeholders, including representatives from the disabled community. And this is one of those moments too. I don't even think the disabled community is the right language here, um, but those who um, are neurodivergent. Um, and to gather insights and recommendations for this initiative. And one of the things that Kane said earlier is important, that we want to make sure we're centering the people who are impacting and making sure that we're hearing from them. Um, and then also um, developing a plan outlining the steps, resources, costs, and timeline required to achieve the certification, um, preferably um, in quarter two, 2024. Um, and with that, on the recommendations on the item, it says ensuring alignment with the guidelines provided in the APA's autism planning and design guidelines. I'd like to instead say considering alignment with the guidelines because I'd want staff to kind of look at everything and make that determination versus you know saying that it must align with that. Um, so that's the only change that I would really make make to that. But I think that we have an opportunity here. Um, to you know, set a precedent um, for the future to show the importance of our priority, and you know, this is more more than about accessibility. It is about building a city that acknowledges, accepts, and celebrates differences. It's about creating spaces where individuals, um, like my friend Kathleen's brother, can thrive. This initiative can lead to increased tourism, economic growth, and a stronger, more connected community. And it does align with our strategic goals of public safety and economic development. Thank you. I'll second that motion. It's been moved and seconded. Um, Councilman Burns? Yes, I, on, again, on its surface, it's a great idea, it'd be great. In the study that was provided with this item, this memo, it outlines many of things. And one of the things it says is that many of the Autistic people have very different, um, they present their symptoms very differently. So my question is, one of the many questions I have is what happens if there's a conflict between needs? One, like uh, it mentions, is uh, bright white lights versus soft white lights. We get, how do we solve both those uh, situations? There, this is such a complex issue. There's, I don't see how the city can do this in a costly manner. In an ideal situation, if you're starting from scratch in a city to do some of these, like the widening of the sidewalks, as it mentions, uh, a lot of these things can be done. But in a city like ours, and as you say, um, fiduciary responsibility some of this stuff is too focused just for autistic people. We have a lot of things that we do for disabled people, and a lot of the autistic people that I've come across don't have access or mobility problems. They have the 
um, neurodivergence problems. So a lot of the, some of this stuff, as far as economic advantages, it, some of these things are so costly. There aren't the economic advantages aren't there. So I wouldn't use that as an argument. And I've got a whole list of different things here. There are many symptoms that present themselves. Uh, so are fewer people for each little difference in these divergent uh, situations. Are we going to be able to adjust our uh, access or our lighting to deal with each one of these? Because there's so many different things. It's, it, it's not feasible. It's not a practical thing to do. People with autism uh, experience their environments very differently, so treating or planning makes it even more difficult. Sensitivity to light, I already mentioned that. People with autism, and this, some of the things are right out of this memo. People with autism might also have motor impairments. Planners, and, uh, planners must understand and accommodate these challenges in a wide range of infrastructure designs, such as strong buffers between peds and cars, pedestrian and cars. And then this would be an infrastructure nightmare to try to accommodate stuff. There are so many, in, in reading this, several times there are so many infrastructure nightmares and costly things to do to accommodate these things it's impractical it's not and it's there are no economic advantages the fiduciary responsibility and as one person said good stewards of our money and public monies wouldn't be met there and as uh, one of the speakers, Ken Inouye, said, we have so much deferred maintenance that can be serving everybody in this community. It, it is much, much, way too much to ask for just this too focused of a group to, for us to uh, try to tackle this. Planners accommodate targeted housing opportunities for people. Here we go again with the... Uh, the targeted housing with ADUs and high density or uh, buildings. Planners can create places where adults with autism can thrive. At what expense? For very few. In a Pollyann world, I'd love this to happen, but there's a thing called reality. We can't do it all for everybody. We can't accommodate all these things for everybody. Um, we need uh, to, here's a excerpt, we need to find uh, appropriate housing for high-functioning adults with autism can offer options for affordable housing for the entire community. Again, here we go into a whole different realm, affordable housing. It, we're stepping way out of bounds of our ability or our government responsibility in my mind. I think it's just- No more chiming from the, from the crowd. Okay, you had your three minutes. Let everybody deliberate here at the city council. We listened to you. Now it's your turn to listen to us respectively. We Go must ahead. represent all the people in the best way we can. Yeah, these people need help, and I, I, I wish we can help them in every way we can, but it's fiscally unrealistic. And 
I don't see this focused on this group alone serves this community in its best ways. That's it. Councilman McCann. Yeah, just <clears throat> to touch on that, I mean, like Pat mentioned, it is a noble idea, but to me, you know, this is just more big government bureaucracy focused on, you know, solving an issue that the private sector should and does handle better. <clears throat> the private sector can help business by business on their own without mandates, and they can encourage one another to be more welcoming. There are already <clears throat> many private and charitable foundations that focus on autism. There are also many other conditions that need assistance, and we need to look to the private sector and charities to help address them, not the government with unknown potential high costs to the taxpayers that almost make it infeasible, like Pat touched on. And so I think the role of the government could be is to highlight these private sector and charitable foundations to bring attention to, to them, like Rocky McKinnon's adaptive surfing that he brought it forward tonight, or Edison High School, which has a unique program for autism that includes the students into the general population classrooms, and they, the students come from areas throughout the entire high school district. And so there are many other services like this that the city can highlight and bring attention to, and to me, that's what we should be focusing on. Councilwoman. Thank you, Mayor. So we acknowledge that we have to do things like um, updates to infrastructure. I don't think that the proposal is that we implement every single thing in that planning document. I think that it does make sense, though, to understand what things we can do within the budget that we have and within the, um, you know, the, the, um, the scope of the responsibility that we have for infrastructure. That is, that is the government's responsibility and not the private sector. What can we do that can be more accommodating to persons with autism. Just, we're just asking the question. We're not talking about spending any money at this point. But if we have to um, you know, replace a sidewalk and we learn that uh, having a wider sidewalk helps several different groups of people, then I don't, I don't understand what's wrong with doing that. I don't think that's singling anybody out for special treatment or anything like that. I just think that's trying to accommodate as many people within our community as we possibly can. Councilman. So in interesting, two different points um, that Councilmember Burns and Councilmember McKeon brought up. The best day to plant a tree was 30 years ago. The next best day is today. A lot of this infrastructure that's in that document is a best practices, it's basically a scientific paper, if you will, but for planning. Um, and had best practices, and they talked to a lot of people and came up with different planning ideas that you'd already implement. Um, one of the things that I found uh, as becoming a father is pushing a stroller around my community. Uh, the Americans with Disability Act, signed by George H.W. Bush uh, in 1992, um, put curb ramps throughout my whole community, uh, forced Caltrans to put sidewalks on Beach Boulevard like five years ago, and they didn't exist before. They got sued for billions of dollars because there was accessibility issues. So we've already called out, again, a group of folks that have disabilities in our community, and we have spent billions and billions and billions of dollars to accommodate a very, very small group of people because it's the right thing to do. The benefits support the entire community. I can now push a stroller down without having to throw my kid off the curb as we plunk down. I can go down a curb ramp. It's, it's in one of the letters, it helps postal carriers, it helps people with packages. 
whatever. The Moby mats also, um, again, another example of indirect impacts that help everybody. Having a certified autism destination as a goal on the horizon, understanding what it would take to get from here to there, has the journey of the process. We're going through an accreditation with the fire department right now, and I asked Chief, why don't we go get a certificate from some agency that says we have an accredited fire department? Cool, do we get anything for it? No, it's the breakdown of all the processes we have in the fire department to understand the best way to possibly do that, to understand that the right answer isn't we, we've always done it that way. It's the journey to get there. So setting this on the horizon is the goal I think is the, it, it helps us understand that all of the things that we would do for neurodivergent folks help everyone in the community. Having a buffer between the street and the sidewalk is wonderful for people that want to walk. And walking down Beach Boulevard, I, we had, I had to walk my child to daycare one day down Beach Boulevard. That was a very hairy situation. There's a sidewalk there. It's great. I've walked on Harbor Boulevard in the resort district by Disneyland. It's a three-lane highway. It's an arterial highway. Much more comfortable because it's got a 12-foot sidewalk, buffers, trees. You can change your infrastructure to make it more enjoyable and actually ex and helpful for those folks that are neurodivergent and aren't neurotypical like the majority of people here. We do a lot of things for smaller groups of folks because, yes, it helps them, but it helps the community as a whole. Flipping it on its side, the economic impacts of this, we should be as open to everybody and anybody coming here as possible. The Visit HB letter was eye-opening. They're working with Canada and Air Canada to fly people down to John Wayne and have John Wayne be a um, neurodivergent, autistic, certified airport, for lack of a better term. Flying is very loud and very disruptive for those folks that require to have patterns in their day-to-day. -day, getting on an airplane is uh, a very, very wild uh, circumstance, even with headphones on. Flashy lights, all of these things are not the extreme. You take the largest population you can serve with the resources you have, and you make small modifications to that. Speaking to the private industry to do this, we own an enormous amount of infrastructure that is a uh, impediment to folks uh, that are neurodiverse. Um, all of our public roads, our public street lighting, our public infrastructure, all make it difficult. Our, our sidewalk standard is three feet. All APA standards, like the, the best width of a sidewalk is 12 feet to be able to walk comfortably on it. You walk down a three-foot sidewalk now, I got the stroller, someone's got to go into the parkway or go into the street to get around it. Somebody's got dogs. All of these things, like they're not conducive to a good community, a good walkable community, a community where you know your neighbors. Um, all of these things have ancillary benefits to the rest of us, and they, what's being proposed doesn't cost us any more money. Uh, it looks at how we can be more open, and, but to actually generate dollars. We actually received um, uh, publicity for being an accessible community, for being a, a community that supports folks with autism. Uh, when I was down at Carlsbad, I was actually talking to... Um, uh, Miss Wysocki, uh, about um, I was going down to Carlsbad to go to Legoland with my child, and she said, hey, they've got a, 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 an autism program there. and um, They have little signs on the outside of every ride that show what the different scales, from I think one to five, of how bright it is, how loud it is, how enclosed it is, so you can make your own determination of, uh, of what you think that your uh, impact's going to be. The, again, the the additional effects that you spoke about having maps of a community, uh, maps of an event where everything is to plan it before. That would be amazing to, if I have two children to be able to plan all that out, to know where all the bathrooms are ahead of time, to have all of that there. Um, 
you know, that's, those are things that it's hard enough to get your kids out the door. I can only imagine how hard it is to have a child on the autism spectrum trying to get to go places, to have some sense of, of normalcy in your life. So anything that we can do as a community, as a city, in a planning section, when we're, hey, we're looking at a document saying, all right, we're going to do this park. What if we just change the color of the lights on this? Yeah, it doesn't cost us anymore, but we'll be thinking about those things as we go forward. That's what all of this is. To speak about the housing issues, if you have an adult child with autism, to be able to have a unit in your community built, an ADU, not high ADUs are not high density. Let's make sure that you spoke about those as a similar thing. Having a, a place for them to live on their own, but with a caretaker or someone who is interested in helping someone like that is incredible. Um, having parking lots designed so that wayfinding is easier, so it's not so confusing, so you don't end up using police resources or, uh, or the vans to come out because someone has an incident. It's also better for everybody because you know how to get through the parking lot. Um, all of these things are just incredible pluses, and the fact that Visit HB is supportive of this and is already working on this is something that the city should be getting behind. Economic development is key in this, but also helping people, helping uh, what's becoming a larger and larger group of folks as they are identified in the community and don't fall through the cracks into homelessness, into being um, excluded from the community. We want to have an inclusive community, have everyone be able to come out, and the number of parents um, that are living with children with autism um, uh, is, is growing and understanding anything we can do to help them is something that I'm gonna be supportive of. So um, to say that this is the role of private industry, they, have, they play a part and they are playing their part because they want more customers to come and take part in what they are offering or services they are offering. As a community, as a city, we are service oriented and it is our goal to be as service oriented to as many people in the community as possible and this is not ask, tying us into doing anything. This is asking us to engage to make sure that we are helping the most people in our community. The planning document that was associated with this was an example of things that can be done. It does not dictate what we will be doing. Um, but I think leaving it to community services and the uh, community development department and public works to understand that there's a group of folks in our community that could benefit from small changes to our existing way we've done stuff, uh, I think is incredibly important and something that we should be doing. Thank you. Councilwoman, would you like to close? I would, thank you. Right. <clears throat> so I think that there's been some really interesting dialogue tonight. Um, first, first things first, you know, I've heard many times on the dais that HIMs are just an idea. And this is an idea. It's a step. As it's been mentioned, it's kind of the first step in a potential journey. Um, you know, it was discussed tonight that, you know, we don't have the money for this. We don't know how much it will cost or if we'll have to spend any money. Um, I did mention already that the last piece, which was the planning document, um, initially in the item it said con, uh, ensuring alignment with the guidelines provided there, and I'm saying considering them um, because I don't want to state that we're going to hold us to any of that, but I do think it's um, something that we should use as a lens as we look at things. Um, so that being said, too, there's essentially two parts to this item, which was the planning document of just like looking at things in a different way which is more of a scientific document, as was mentioned. But two, the functional feasibility piece, which is looking at the feasibility of having Huntington Beach be a certified autism destination. Um, the, the ask here wasn't that we decide we're going to do that. 
the ask is that we ask staff to go and look and see, like talk to others who have already done it. How difficult was it? How much did it cost? Who really led it? Because if you look at Mesa, Arizona, along with the city, the chamber, and the Visitors Bureau, the Visitors Bureau really did push through a lot of this. So the staff might come back and say, it's going to be whatever. It'll take probably this long. It might be a huge lift, but the Visitors Bureau might be in, a, in an important role to move everything forward, but they would want the city to also state that it's a priority. They might come back and say that without us actually getting staff to go look and see um, you know, what the feasibility is and looking at all of that. I mean, how, how can we, we are doing a disservice to our community if we do not demonstrate the leadership purely because we, we think that there are, are costs that are just too much when we really have no idea what they are. This is just an ask to find out from our staff, to find out from people and cities that have already done this, what it looks like. And I think that it's important, too, that Visit HB did indicate that they were very interested in this. They've been working with the hotels and hospitality industry about this as well. Um, and, you know, as was said, it was one in 36 children under the age of eight, I believe, are being diagnosed um, with autism spectrum disorder or on the spectrum. And I actually did see another study that it was actually um, a higher number in California. So it was like one in 22 or something along those lines. So those are, that's a lot of people. And that's a lot of people who, if we were actually able to do this, could open up to additional economic development. And we need to be able to find ways to have more of an injection of funds through ways that are also inclusive. What a great win-win for our entire community. And finally, you know, it was mentioned that we have the um, AAC board at, at Eater Elementary um, at the park there. Also, we have accessible playgrounds. Um, we do have the Moby Mat. I'm curious when I hear some of this dialogue about not wanting to treat some people specially or give them extra supports if this council would even support any of those projects if they came before the council today. Because those projects were not for, and I've seen this in some of the material, like normal people. I got an, a message earlier today saying, um, you know, just the normal people can figure out how to get along, and we just focus on that. I, I mean, like, it blew, blew my mind. So I'm, I'm concerned that these projects that I, I'm proud of in our community, and I think that we all are. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem, you were there um, for the AAC board, and it was a very proud moment for all of us working with Cal State Long Beach as well. I hope that we are a council that can demonstrate leadership and at least look at the possibility of things before shutting them down. This is an idea. It is a first step. There's no reason not to consider the possibility of this. Um, I would, I think it also would demonstrate to the community that we're open to working together on the possibility of what our community can do. And I would love to see that. So it's not always a 4-3 or a 3-4 or what have you. There's an opportunity here to at the very least say, we are interested and open to the idea of doing this. Doesn't mean that we're committing to do it, but I want to know more. And um, I, I hope that we as a community can do that together. Thank you. Oh, those are close, but okay. Count the mayor pro tem. Um, we do have the adaptive surfing. We have the communication board. That was pretty cool, actually. I was kind of excited. Also had it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, we have inclusive equipment. We have the Moby mat. Um, we, there are improvements that we can make. I'm just 
not confident that this is the route to go. And we do have staff that's working hard and finding different ways to be inclusive to special needs. As somebody who has a few special needs children, I understand. Um, I'm just not sure if this is a correct route. What part of it do you not like? We're already doing some of this. The, the, we're already looking into this, um, and I'm comfortable with the, what staff is doing on the recommendations, and moving forward, we're going to continue to do the same thing and become more inclusive. That's just where I'm at right now. Okay. Staff has also looked at becoming a certified autism destination, as was asked by members of the community as well. So that's, they were really kind of moving along those lines, but I think it takes leadership and council support to demonstrate that this is something that we're at least more interested in. And when I hear things like, we're already doing enough, I mean, like, why are we here? <laughs> I, there's always more to do. Part of the reason that I moved um, or ran to be on council was because I am curious and believe that uh, we can do better always. Um, so to say that like this is enough, the staff is doing some things, like let's show our leadership. Again, this isn't stating that we're going to spend money or we're even going to do it, but why not let staff come back if you're confident in the things that they're, they're currently working towards, Let's talk about it a little bit more and help give them a little bit more direction in defining that so that way the winds can be at their sails and they can know that they're going down the right path. Um, and also that our other partners like the chamber, like Visit HB, can know that that's where we're going to. Um, but to say that what we have is enough, sadly I feel like if somebody else on council had brought this forward, I think it would pass. And I think it's because it's the minority, it won't. And I think that we have an opportunity to move beyond that, to demonstrate leadership again and say, we can always be better, we can do more, we can think about things and be curious and provide the possibility that we might be able to agree on something, but we need a little bit more information. And I really would hope and ask that the council could consider just saying yes to trying to move forward and seeing what we have to say. How many community, how many autistic community members do we have? We don't have that data, but if you want to look at the one of 36, we can figure out how many kids we have. I think your memo says, I think your memo says one in 76. No, it actually like was like one in 50 something. I was using a, a 2021 number because that was the most um, formal number from the CDC. The most recent one though was one in 36 and a number of different commenters provided that. I did look on the census site because I thought that question might come up and the only number that was there was for um, the number of children under 18 so I couldn't match the under eight number. Um, so I don't have that. I'm sure we could figure out some number, but I think it's, it's pretty large, right? And again, as I mentioned, that same one that said one in 36 now said like one in 20 something for California. I don't know why it's higher, but it indicates that it's higher. And with that many people and many, many adults who were never um, diagnosed, but who are, are, you know, living with neurodivergencies, um, I'd want for us to be able to say, maybe that's what we ask staff to find out more information about too. Given the size of our population, given the number, approximate number of children, what is the size of the impact? Then we have to look outside of just those that live in our community to those that border our community. Um, the mayor pro tem in Fountain Valley has an autistic son. You know, perhaps our neighbors would also want to work on these types of things as well. Um, you know, our our borders do not are not just walls 
you know, there are people that come in and out locally, and then also, as we talked about, more uh, wider range of visitors from outside. So I think that the opportunity here, there's plenty of population to at least say to us, why don't you look at this? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. I do believe um, that we could potentially have an injection of, of income from, from, especially from the travel portion of it, from the tourism piece. And we've heard that from visitors, from Visit HB. Um, and perhaps we could even have them come in and talk about it you know, with staff, and I'm sure they'd work with staff as well. I would like to hear that conversation, get more information so that we can make an informed choice. And if at that time nobody wants to move ahead, then it's a more informed decision. And that's really all I was asking for is the feasibility not to become this. And again, I think it's an opportunity, like kind of reaching across the aisle for all of us to say, like, there is there are plenty of people in our community who are impacted by this. They're asking for more um, more supports in the community. You know, it's not just the planning piece, but also the functional piece and, and education, frankly. And who's going to provide that? It's likely not us, to be honest with you. It's likely other parts of the community. But for us to say that this is important, it sets a tone. It, it, it indicates, again, a demonstration of our leadership on this issue. And I'll, I'll come back to, you know, I would hate to think that people would, would assume that we wouldn't support these other projects like the accessible playgrounds, like the AAC board, things like that, um, that we currently have in our community because we're just, we've done enough and we're not going to do any more. That, that can't be the way that we look at things. So I, again, I really would ask this council to give this idea a chance to be fleshed out, listen to staff, perhaps listen to the other stakeholders, um, provide that opportunity, and then make a, an informed decision. Um, instead of, I think we're making some assumptions based on information that we don't necessarily have. Um, and, and I would really love for this idea to at least get um, a little bit more sunshine on it. Madam Clerk, it's been moved. It's been seconded. Please, please call the roll. All right. Councilmember Kalmick. Aye. Mosier. Aye. Vandermark. Epstein. Strickland. Not voted. McKeon. Abstain. Bolton. Aye. Burns. Abstain. All right. The item fails three, four, with council members Vandermark, Strickland, McKeon, Bolton, Burns abstaining. Oh, not Bolton. I'm sorry. No. So, uh, members, uh, do I have a motion to adjourn? Real quick. Second? Real quick. I just want to wish everyone out there um, a happy and healthy Thanksgiving with their families. Um, we have a lot to be thankful for, so I wish you guys all a happy Thanksgiving. I hear a motion. It's been moved. It's been seconded. We're adjourned. The next regular scheduled meeting of the Huntington Beach City Council Public Finance Authority is Tuesday, December 5th, 2023.